You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 405. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG Headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 20th of December, 2019. Today's episode, a flight attendant averts potential disaster after spotting ice on the wings right before takeoff. Passengers are evacuated from a Qantas jet because of a hydraulic leak. More news, your feedback, and another edition of Plane Tales. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seatbacks in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger. Flight 405 is ready for pushback. Thanks, Radio Roger, a real, live, professional radio TV guy in the biggest market for all that stuff in uh, the U.S., New York City. Thank you very much, and uh, welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast. We've been doing this for more than 10 years, covering the latest aviation news and answering your feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a former U.S. Air Force pilot and currently captain for a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia, which, by the way, I just went over my 31st year anniversary with Acme Airlines. (laughs) And... Joining me today to help out with all this nonsense from his studio in the English countryside, a professional photographer, former RAFRAAF fighter pilot, former captain for an international airline based in London, it's Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff. Great to be back on the show as usual. What a cop out there. Uh, Radio Roger didn't read the title of the plane fell. That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> well, I'll tell you about that. He said, I'm sorry, but I couldn't fit everything. I, I have kind of a tight um, hmm, a, a space of uh, time for the intro. And he said, I couldn't get it all in uh, without dropping the name of, of the title of your plain tale. So he apologized. So. <laughs> I just wanted to hear him try and get through it. But there you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe he can record that just separately and send it to you so you could hear it. <laughs> yeah. And also- Thanks anyway, Radio Roger. We're fine. <laughs> okay. We're good. And also joining us from the northwest Atlanta suburbs, barbecue master, motorcycle rider, pleasure boat skipper, underwater photographer, and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier, which we call Acme Airlines, Captain Dana. Well, good afternoon, Jeff. Great to be back and uh, great to see you, Nick, as well. Looking forward to another episode of our fantastic podcast. Yes, it should be fun. I'm looking forward to this one. Not that I'm bragging or anything or tooting our own horns, but... uh, The world's best aviation podcast. Yeah, you'd have to say it. Except for all the others out there that are better. All right. Well, with that, I think let's just jump right on into this week's news segment. Stand by for news. 
let's start off with the first item in our news folder for this special Christmas episode. And of course, the news have nothing to do with Christmas, but just thought I'd say that. Uh, Item A, uh, a flight attendant prevents potential disaster after spotting ice on wings seconds before takeoff. The Civil Aviation Authority has reported that the plane was already on the runway when the pilots abandoned the planned departure. Thankfully, they didn't say they aborted the takeoff. Well, I guess you could say technically that they did, but I like the way they put it better. The sequence of events is explained in startling detail in the latest report from the Confidential Human Factors Incident Reporting Program, the CAA scheme that encourages airline staff and to raise safety concerns with complete anonymity. The cabin crew member reported that when they closed the aircraft door after boarding was completed, I noticed that there was a significant layer of snow accumulating on the wings. They added, following several aircraft accidents in the past, we know today that an aircraft should not attempt to take off with any snow or ice on the wings. The member of cabin crew said they did not mention it to to any other crew because they assumed that the pilots must be aware of the snow and had requested de-icing. But during the captain's pre-flight announcement to the passengers, no mention was made of de-icing the aircraft, even though it's customary to warn of a short delay while the wings, tail, and fuselage are sprayed. Still, I didn't say anything because I was still sure that they were going to do it, the cabin crew member reported. I was also thinking that, as experienced pilots, they must know what they're doing, and it wasn't my place to tell them how to do their job. The doors were armed for departure, in which the escape slides are primed to deploy when a door opens, and the crew took their positions in the cabin for the safety demonstration. During the safety demo, I heard the flight crew lock the flight deck door and start the engines. This is when it became clear to me that they had no intention of de-icing the aircraft. The aircraft began the short taxi to the runway. By the time the safety uh, demonstration had finished, the plane was already at the holding point, ready to enter the runway for takeoff as soon as the standard cabin secure message had been passed to the pilots. This is ridiculous. Therefore, before beginning to secure the cabin, I told the SCCM, the senior cabin crew member, that there was a significant layer of snow on the wings and that it would be a good idea to let the pilots know. They looked at the wings and agreed with me and called the pilots. They initially replied to standby. The aircraft actually taxied onto the runway, but the planned takeoff was then abandoned. The aircraft taxied off the runway and parked in a holding area. At this point, an announcement was made to the passengers to explain what was happening, and the FO, first officer, uh, came out from the flight deck, asked, two passengers sat by the wings to get up from their seats while they shone a torch light over them. Flashlight for you in the U.S. They then confirmed that it was ice, went back into the flight deck, and the captain then made an announcement to say that we would have to de-ice the aircraft. During this procedure, the captain called the cabin crew member on the plane's internal phone system to thank them. The captain is reported as saying that during the walk-around, part of the standard pre-flight checks, they had seen only snow on the wing, but no ice. Uh, and had therefore not requested de-icing. I know. What? They have different rules Just over there, the I guess. Captain. <laughs> <laughs> they have different rules over there, Nick? Uh, no. Okay, I didn't think so. <laughs> and uh, then the cabin crew member reported, my understanding was that there should be zero contamination on the wings during takeoff, be it snow or ice. They're, they're right. Yeah. Um, In the end, we were delayed so much that the runway was closed due to the snow and our flight was canceled. 
The member of cabin crew wrote that it was extremely worrying that nobody except myself had noticed the severity of the situation, which potentially could have ended in disaster. The CAA added that the cabin crew member had not used the airline's own reporting system as they felt that they may be penalized for reporting to the company. The authority concluded, if any member of cabin crew has any concerns relating to potential ice or snow, they must raise these as soon as possible with both the SCCM and the operating captain. It must never be assumed that somebody else has already spotted a potential safety issue. It's better to report something twice than not at all. And uh, the captain was asked to comment on this incident. We have a little soundbite here. I'm in trouble. <laughs> oh, champ. Uh. Wow. That's uh I mean that's a good that's a good story. Well, it's a good it's it's a good and bad story. <laughs> it's an interesting story. Yeah, I just thought it was an interesting um comment that if if this is something that was actually said by the captain, uh that they had seen snow on the wing but no ice and had therefore not requested de icing. I'm thinking I'm yeah, hoping, that me a bit. hoping, yeah, that that was like misreported or something. I don't know. Uh, Misunderstood, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is not a good scenario here. But I must admit, I don't know. What was the aircraft type? Do we know? I don't think they said. No. no it, when you do a walk really. around, uh, when you do a walk around, it's not easy to see on top of the wing. Mm-hmm. But that's what I do from the gantry when I'm exiting and, and coming back on the aircraft again. And if I'm at least a bit concerned, I go into the front of economy where you compare out the passenger windows and take a look at the wing. Um, but, you know, so you can see snow easily. Uh, now, ice can be a bit of a problem. If it's clear ice, it can just look wet. Yep. So it's up to you to uh, look at it carefully and decide whether the temperature is right for it to be ice or, or just you know, dampness. But uh, this is uh, this is just crass from the crew. I don't know whether it's the end of a long day or what their excuses are, but uh, no, not good. Uh, however, having said that, I'm a little bit worried about the cabin crew training that um, she was thinking that it wasn't my place to tell them how to do their job. It's everybody's responsibility on the aircraft, certainly from the crew's point of view, to use all their uh, training and expertise to uh, make sure the aircraft's safe for departure. And that includes glancing out if uh, if you see something odd going on, like there's snow on the wings or uh, there's a panel lit loose or whatever. You never assume that someone else has spotted it. You always pipe up put your hand up and say, excuse me, is that right? I always mention in my pre-flight or my, yeah, pre-flight briefing to the flight attendants or, or flight attendant in charge, if I can't talk to all of them, that uh, if there are any concerns by you or the passengers, whether you see something that doesn't look right or hear something that doesn't sound right, please let us know. And uh, just to kind of, you know, uh, reinforce that idea that you just mentioned, Nick, that, they, that's their responsibility to, you know, bring bring that to our attention. Yeah, yeah. We're and, a team and, on that airplane. Sorry, Dennis. <clears throat> no, and and what I was going to say, and, and I would even go one step further than what you said, Nick, is at at Acme we have the ability to call for what's called an upper wing inspection. So you know we can call for the upper wing inspection, the engine inlet inspection. So if there's any question at all at all one bit then then that's the next level i go to or they'll you know send over the the ice folks and they'll do it as well uh, just to see what's going on, on top of the wing because there's no sense in taking the chance that is very dangerous um you know this this brings into question to me 
uh, you know, it doesn't mention where they, you know, what airline or you know where they're based. Uh, you know, maybe they're used to operating in a warmer environment most of the time. Uh, there's no also no uh, no uh, METAR here, so we don't know what the actual precipitation was, what what value, whether it was you know moderate snow, light snow, you know whether the aircraft spent the night, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of unanswered questions that we really can't comment on. Um, but absolutely, uh, if there's any question ever. Uh, certainly make sure that uh, you know the cabin crew knows to bring it up to us and, and i kind of do the exact same thing uh, you do jeff we had just have a few clues in this story here that uh, we had to use his torch to look you know peer through the window to look at the wing so i'm i'm assuming from that that it was nighttime or very early in the morning yep um, and that's and that's much to the fact that if i can't tell i always have a cab a, a upper wing inspection right. period yes nick uh, and uh, I don't know if it's the same with your outfit, Jeff, but uh, when our engineers clear the aircraft for flight, they will have done an inspection. And if they're the least bit concerned, they'll come to the flight deck and say, uh, how much, you know, when would you like to de-ice, guys, because there's two inches of snow on your wings. So, you know. That's the advantage that you have uh, in your type of operation, the long-haul operation where you have – more of that kind of attention paid when you're doing the kind of operation that Dana and I do, where we're doing multiple flights in a day, domestic operation. Uh, the, a lot of the places that we go, most of the places that are away from the major hubs don't have mechanics on duty or engineers on duty. So it's very much up to you guys. Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. It's all on our shoulders. Yep. To make sure it's done. I really wish that the airlines could afford to have licensed engineers at every CF. It's a much safer way to operate. It is improving with our outfit. Um, I think Dana would agree um, because, you know, we've, uh, our company has been doing pretty well making money. And I've noticed there are a lot of places that we go now where we did not have maintenance for quite some time. And now they're coming back usually in a, in a part-time capacity, but they are actual Acme mechanics, engineers that uh, are stationed there. And, uh, you know, so that's it's improving. It used to be when I first started out 31 years ago, every station that we went had a full time uh, Acme mechanic there, and it was just routine. You you pull up to the uh, gate, and then you give them a thumbs up or a thumbs down, just let them know if you had any write ups, and uh, they always inspected the airplane coming in, and you know before we left. So yeah, and it's it was uh, actually back then, Jeff. It was the mechanics that actually pushed the aircraft back. Oh, really? I don't recall yeah. that, but it, uh, yeah, you're it, right. Rampers did not do That's that. That's right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. it, it, in, in, unfortunately due to economic times and the downturn in the industry, that's when a lot of the, uh, outstation mechanics, uh, I think for most of the airlines, as a matter of fact, kind of went by the wayside. And I really do like the fact it's, it's really helping with the reliability and, uh, the dispatchability of, of, even the our old aircraft and just the whole operation on on the whole for having uh, mechanics, yes, uh, placed throughout the system. So I, I I absolutely think it's it's really helping us in the big scheme of things. I think so too. But anyways, uh, you know we don't we don't have all the you know we we don't have all of the pieces to really kind of comment fully on this. We don't you know I think there's some training issues here possibly too. I mean that. They, they just don't spend enough time, which leads me to believe that maybe it might be a carrier that's based in a warmer climate, um, that they don't spend that much time on de-icing scenarios and, and talk about it as much as, you know, a, a, a 
carry that be based here in the states or up in Canada or, or someplace else that might be more apt to be in cold weather all the time. Because it almost seems like he's a little nonchalant about it. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to item B. And Captain Nick, would you be willing to take on this one? Oh, most certainly. Okay. Uh, do you want me to use my Australian accent? If you'd like. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I shall stick with my original one. Uh, so this is all about uh, Qantas uh, A332 at Sydney, December the 5th. 15th, uh, 2019, a hydraulic leak prompts evacuation. Um, and this is from who? From Simon Hardrecki. Yeah, the uh, Avia, Aviation Herald. Excellent. So this is a, a quaint ass, uh, a 330-200, uh, Victor Hotel, uh, Echo Bravo Charlie, performing flight QF575 from Sydney to Perth. That's where my old man lives. So that's right from one side of Australia to the other. It'll be a sort of five-hour flight. I was climbing out of Sydney when the crew received indication of a hydraulic leak. They stopped the flight at flight level 230 and returned to Sydney for a safe landing on runway 34 about 45 minutes after departure. The aircraft vacated the runway and stopped on the parallel taxiway. About 20 minutes later, the aircraft was towed to the apron. Already on the apron, mist began to reduce visibility in the cabin. Passengers began to complain about sore eyes, itchy throats. Once the tow stopped at the stand, the captain initiated an evacuation via slides. Now, that's interesting. Emergency services responded. Two passengers taken to the hospital with injuries received during evacuation. The uh, airline confirmed that the aircraft was evacuated at the gate. It appears hydraulic fluid entered the air conditioning system. Two passengers were taken to hospital. A number of passengers complained about sore eyes and itchy throats, but declined treatment. Uh, the ATSB have opened investigation. Uh, passengers described a pungent odor developed on board before the aircraft was evacuated. Passenger photos indicated visibility on board was reduced due to haze or mist. Um, so uh, there's a little bit extra down there, which comes, I think, from uh, SMH, uh, Sydney Morning Herald, I would guess, uh, the newspaper, uh, which says what I have just said. Yeah. He said, uh, whilst the customers thought there was smoke, there was no fire, the captain ordered an evacuation. And this is just quotes from the passengers, really. Uh, however, the uh, Qantas spokesman said, uh, oh, it was the Qantas fleet safety captain, Captain Debbie Slade, said the hydraulic system uh, at issue affects of the landing controls and flaps on the aircraft. She thanked the passengers for cooperating with the flight queue during a very unusual and probably alarming experience. We'll investigate exactly what happened, including liaising with Airbus uh, before this, um, for this aircraft's return to service. Sorry. So that's it, really. Uh, a very interesting place to have a slight evacuation, don't you think? Yes, and um, we all have to be cognizant of the fact that when you have hydraulic issues, hydraulic leaks, unless you know specifically where it's leaking, 
Um, you need to think twice about what you're doing with some of the other systems like the APU, maybe starting the APU, but not uh, opening up the uh, bleed valves on it to, uh, you know, prevent something like this from happening. Uh, this looks like an, an another event of an Airbus 330 involving the APU and and uh, uh, leaks of some sort, right? Wasn't that the the American A330 that had to divert uh, because of some s- similar issue, although the APU was not even running? And maybe in this case it wasn't running uh, either. And, uh, I have some... a feeling that one was down to engine oil, or yeah. it was suspected it was okay. engine oil. Uh, hydro- a hydraulic leak, of course, uh, it's, you know, every, every aircraft every now and again suffers a hydraulic leak. I've had probably a five or so in my career on airbuses um and uh, it's not common that it will get into the air conditioning system but of course it depends where the pipe that's ruptured or the where the o-ring that has failed where the leak is uh, and if it does happen to be near an intake uh, which is where you're getting the air introduced particularly on the ground into the cabin which is what it sounds like uh, then there's a very simple way to stop it you just turn off the uh, the pressurization turn off the air conditioning yes and uh, you, that that should although the air is now static in the aircraft it will be recirculated there's no fresh air coming in that should stop the introduction of whatever the problem is um, so I'm not sure perhaps they did do that I don't know but perhaps also because uh, of the messages they were getting from the cabin, they decided that even though they've made it to the stand, they wanted to uh, get everyone off on the slides. That's a, a decision worth discussing. Yeah, definitely worth <clears throat> discussing. Yes, Dana. I was going to say, you know, you made an assumption that they started the APU. They don't actually say that. And, and I agree no, with don't. you that. Yeah. They don't say that, but I, I, I would hide, I would actually find it very hard to believe that they would uh, keep both engines or any engines running and not have the AP running. So your assumption is probably correct. Yeah, they were and towed I, back to the gate, so I'm assuming yeah. they probably want to have some kind of power on the airplane. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. And maybe this is one of these instances that perhaps if one of the cabin crew had immediately contacted the pilots and said, something is weird going on, it smells weird, and we're starting to see some mist, maybe – if, if that had happened and the pilots, as Nick just said, had thought to, oh, I'm going to turn off the packs to uh, prevent any problem with this sort of thing happening, maybe they wouldn't have had to evacuate the airplane. Yeah, and uh, the, I don't see anything to indicate that it was the flight deck that ordered the evacuation. Now, I don't know in your outfit what independent uh, rules that the cabin crew have for ordering an evacuation, but, um, you know, sometimes you get um, relatively inexperienced uh, cabin crew manning a door who, you know, might forget their training and think the situation is more uh, desperate than it is, and once one cabin crew blows a door and slide, chances are the whole aircraft will, because everyone looks around and goes, geez, they, they must know something we don't. If right. they've blown the, the slides, we better blow the slides. A little bit for, a little, not to blow it up, I want to make sure we're at our 100%, or at least about 50%. A little further down in the, in the article, it says, the captain ordered an evacuation in response. One woman told ABC News that, that when the plane reached the gate, everything was fine, and the next thing, he, the captain, goes, evacuate, 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 in a calm but firm, loud voice, 
the okay. woman said. Well, so we, I mean, we don't, but it could have been a male flight attendant. We don't, we don't know that for a fact, but uh, well, that's that what's was very much like what the captain would say. Yeah, the captain exactly. Crew, yeah. So, yeah, in that case, uh, we will, I'll take all that back. Thank you for that. All right. Uh, now, uh, the reason that I'm saying that About it's 50%. not good to yes. use the slides at the gate is that you've already got usually uh, an air bridge attached or close, which takes out one escape exit. So, And there's also a lot of equipment around the aircraft once you're at the gate uh, that can uh, interrupt uh, the ability of a passengers to go down the slides. So they could be sitting on a lorry or or. You know, it could, and the guys on the ground, of course, there's a quite a danger to them when these slides and they inflate pretty much. They're pretty big pieces of kit when they come out of the aircraft. They inflate fast. It's quite easy to cause injury on the ground personnel if they get hit by a fast inflating slide. So, um, I don't know. I think in retrospect, in hindsight, 20, 20, <laughs> Uh, vision here looking backwards i think the captain would probably now have rather done an evacuation through the jetway which yes. i think would probably be the best way now do you guys have separate evacuation uh, drills for going down the slides and going down the jetway no no okay because we did we we've introduced on our outfit oh. a different evacuation and they call it a controlled uh, evacuation which is what you do if you had uh, steps up against the aircraft, or you had the jetway, jet bridge uh, joined under the aircraft. That's quite so the PA is slightly different, yeah. Uh, uh, but it's effectively the same thing. You tell everyone to leave everything behind and evacuate in a fast, orderly manner through the doors as soon as possible. And then, so. of course, they ignore all that and they grab their <laughs> stuff. And yes, <laughs> of course, of course they do. However, you know, the intent is there to get everyone off <laughs> yeah. as soon as possible, but in a controlled manner through the exits rather than blowing slides. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for uh, reading that, Nick, and uh, all the great commentary from the professional airline pilots here, and Dana and Nick and myself. So let's continue with the uh, item C. Dana, you want to take on the uh, one about HIWAS? Sure. FAA to discontinue HIWAS. Uh, federal agency concludes that pilots have other ways of obtaining hazardous weather data. And there's a nice photo of a, uh, interior of a, probably a single engineer plane with somebody holding their iPhone sideways <laughs> with good. a radar picture on it. So anyways, uh, continue on with the I'm all uh, for the holding the, uh, iPhone sideways. Yes. With the, your radar. Especially when you're, you're taking pictures. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Anyways, uh, here we go. Here's the script. Okay. There are many ways of accessing real-time weather in the cockpit, whether on piano-mounted device or a portable one, eliminating the need for high-wash garment. I don't know why it says dot garment. That's weird. We can change that one there. That's some kind go. of an artifact, I think, in the yes. uh, article. There are many ways of accessing real-time weather in the cockpit, whether on a piano-mounted device or a portable one, eliminating the need for high-wash. With the growing use of real-time weather by pilots who have access to ADSB, 
in or or in ADSBN or other weather services in the cockpit, the FAA is making changes to its weather-related services. In a notice to the Federal Register issued on December 9th, the FAA announced its intent to discontinue the HIWAS, a hazardous in-flight weather advisory service for those people that don't know what that means. HIWAS was implemented in the 1980s to allow pilots to access hazardous weather information on a continuous broadcast through through a VOR frequencies rather than contacting a specialist at a flight service station, which was a general practice for pilots to get weather and file flight plans during that era. The FAA stated in its notice that the demand for such services have dropped from an average of about 10,000 per day to about 900 per day. This discontinued HIWAS follows a proposed release in July of 2018 where the agency requested public comment. The comment period ended on August 22nd, 2018. <laughs> a whopping 27 <laughs> comments were submitted. Not a lot of interest in this one. <laughs> yeah, there was a huge number. Of just, um, a number of co- commenters include the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Associations, or, or, or EOPA, and they cited safety concerns with the removal of this service because pilots may unexpectedly encounter hazardous weather and have no other means to obtain the information. The notice said, Moreover, EOPA raised concerns that HIWAS might be the only way for some pilots to receive adverse weather information en route. The FAA said the implementation of the FISB, F-I-S-B, and the availability of uh, flight service uh, stations for pilots who don't otherwise have uh, access to weather and route would be sufficient for pilots requiring such services. So, what do you think? What do you think about this, uh, Dana? Because uh, you're very familiar with that uh, uh, hazardous weather information system, uh, HIWAS. Um, being a general aviation pilot, um, do you do you think that it's it's a big deal, or do you think that maybe it's about time now to shut this down? And um, there are so many other means of obtaining weather information nowadays. Yeah, I think in in, in you know kind of as I'm reading this, uh, Jeff, I was also thinking about you know what we hear all the time, uh, especially during the summertime. You'll hear air traffic controllers come on and say, you know. Uh, talk about all these different regions that all this weather is located and say, you know, you can listen to HIWAS or contact flight service station and, 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 and take up a lot of airtime over the radio that wouldn't, you know, normally be able to be used for transmitting, you know, crucial things like, uh, uh, you know, uh, radar vectors and uh, directions and information about what's going on really around you. So uh, as a civilian pilot uh, flying, uh, GA, I don't know, you know, Dr. Steph would be more in tune with what's going on today. Um, but what, when I, even back when I was flying as a flight instructor, as a general aviation, a general aviation pilot with my own airplane uh, and or renting aircraft, I can tell you, I probably listened to Hiawas uh, about never. Steph just chimed in. She says, I never once used HIWAS for what it's worth. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not, you know, it it was good for, for, for what it was if you really needed it but the reality is is um even back in the day when i did not have an iphone or have a uh, flight uh, whatever it's called that uh, app four, on the four flight four flight that's right four flight um any of those other tools that are available to us nowadays um and the gps capability i mean just let's let's face it the general aviation airplanes nowadays usually have better far better 
um, avionics and electronics than we have in our jet airplanes that we fly passengers around. Not that what we have is not good, but it's just the new fedangle technologies is really good. So I, I think, you know, the pilots out there probably have a much better picture of what's going on uh, via what they have in front of them, or they look up before they get on the aircraft. than if somebody is telling them over the radio based on radio, uh, you know, radio or VOR, um, distances and ranges and quadrangles uh, over radio to tell them where this weather hazard could be. Um, so I, th- I think it's, I think it's about time to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I mean, think I, I, I have uh, strong feelings about like decommissioning so many VORs and that kind of thing, which I think is kind of uh, penny wise and pound foolish myself, mm-hmm. but uh, the high was thing, that's one of those things where I'm not going to, get too upset about. I think I've listened to it a couple of times in, in route when you hear that um, broadcast that uh, Dana is referring to when the air traffic controllers start reading out all this stuff and they say, you know, that information is available on a high wasp, blah, 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 blah. And so then I start looking at my charts going, okay, which VOR has the high wasp capability, which is, you know, you can tune into a VOR and you're using it primarily for, you know, directional and, and uh, distance information. But if you turn up the volume, believe it or not, a lot of these VORs are actually transmitting um, audio, and that's where you're going to hear the HIWAS uh, announcement. And it's just a, a lot of stuff that they cram in, and uh, you have to listen to it for quite some time to get any useful information from it. And honestly, as Dana said, the uh, modern uh, tools that we have, ForeFlight and uh, ADSB and FISB and all these different things, it's so much uh Grand, more granular and more available. And so I kind of get the fact that they don't really need to keep doing this high was stuff anymore. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's a waste of resources. And, you know, there are a couple of resources that are still available for anybody that's really, in, you know, wanting some information. Uh, and of course you've got uh, flight service stations. Okay. They're still around. Yeah. And the other, you know, air traffic control. I mean, I realize, you know, if you're trying to come in someplace like Atlanta, you're not going to get Atlanta approach control to give you any type of information unless there's something really, really nasty out there. But usually air traffic control is, a, 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 you know, very helpful if you listen on the radio um, and which I've done plenty of uh, and here uh, air traffic control is controlling or, or even just giving a, a VFR flight following. They'll point out when there's weather. All right. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, the information's out there and I think high is just, it's so old school. And it's we're so go. sorry for those 27 of you who actually sent in a comment regarding this. <laughs> yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Okay. Uh, let's move on uh, to item D. Uh, this is from the aviation Herald uh, by Simon Ratke in Austria, a boutique air Airbus A320-200, registration Papakilo Lima Zulu, performing flight 6160 from Makassar to Marauki, Indonesia, not sure, uh, with 82 passengers, seven crew, was being pushed back from Makassar's stand B1 at about 2.42 local time, early in the morning, night, dark, when the nose gear of the aircraft rolled over the right-hand foot of the headset man who fell to the ground. Ouch. You ran over my foot. <laughs> I am in incredible pain. An actual recording. <laughs> <Jim>. That site. <laughs> 
the uh, headset man was taken to a hospital and diagnosed with a fracture of the tarso metatarsal. Is that Very really a good. thing? Yeah, I don't it know. really is a thing. Okay. Uh, the aircraft was inspected with no damage found. <laughs> Who would think that the aircraft would be damaged <laughs> from rolling over somebody's foot? Yeah, after all, the pilots are kicking the tires all the time and it doesn't do any damage. <laughs> anyway, they completed the pushback and taxi about 20 minutes later and arrived at the destination without further incident. Okay, so running they, over anybody else. <laughs> I guess not. And they have a, a really cool diagram and some other um, text here regarding this incident. If you're interested in learning more about it, but uh, oh, I love it. It's uh, a little sign saying blood spills. Yeah, uh, isn't that, <laughs> yeah. Isn't that nice? Yeah, it's funny. So apparently there was a sign. It's a, it's a, almost half the size of the aircraft. Blood yeah. spills. I'm I'm assuming though that the uh, it was more than I guess than just a uh, a break of the tarso metatarsal <laughs> bone. Apparently, it must have been a what is that called a compound fracture where you actually uh, I think so uh, breach yeah, the skin think, or whatever and there's I think blood he had stuff sticking out of his foot. Yeah. So what I wanted to mention about this is that I and I see this all the time. I don't know how you feel about this, Dana, but I do know that you have worked the ramp. Mm-hmm. And you understand the dangers of working the ramp, especially with big airplanes being pushed around. And these tugs, I mean, I don't know how much they weigh. They must weigh thousands of pounds. I mean, they're, some yeah. of these things are huge. Every time I see one of the uh, ramp workers, wing walkers, whatever, get into position like he's uh, ready to give you the salute uh, after everything is clear and it's free, we're free to taxi, when they stand behind the tug, it drives me nuts. I'm thinking I would never ever get behind one of these tugs because the guy driving the tug may or may not see you standing behind it. And it's so easy. And we've, and Dana, you know, you and I know over the last few decades, there have been many instances where uh, ramp workers have either gotten seriously injured or killed killed yep. because getting run over by these things. And I'm, I just want to yell out the window, no, get away. Don't stand behind the tug. Stand off to the side so that the if the person driving the tug doesn't see you, he doesn't kill you. Do you agree? I agree that there's a lot of things out on the ramp that are extremely dangerous and uh, that can be harmful to, to an employee. And the biggest thing that I see, and it affects us even as uh, you know professional airline pilots, is this thing called complacency. Everybody gets so complacent out there, they just go out, they just uh, you know you see them salute, and the tug hasn't even left in front of the aircraft. Really, I mean, it's you know the, the whole purpose of it, yeah, is well, that- the aircraft to be completely clear, and you know you salute and then walk away. <laughs> um, yeah, positioning um, of a person, you know, relative to the tug. I mean, I don't, I don't know if most of you have noticed. Uh, you know, when you're at the airport next time you're at the airport, take a look at some of these monstrosities called the uh, um, uh, moving. I don't even know what you would call them. I mean, they're tugs, but they're just moving masses. I mean, they are just nothing but solid steel. And there are several of the older ones. The new ones are not so bad. The older ones are, are big, like almost like a big square. And it's very high up and it's very high, hard for the driver that's up front on it to really see behind it, especially at certain angles, because uh, you, 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 your viewpoint is from up high. So if somebody's close enough behind the tug that you may not, and short enough, of course, uh, then you're not going to see them. I've had that scenario, same exact, <laughs> same exact scenario 
when I was you know, when I was doing that. So it's 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 a very dangerous uh, operation out there. And aircraft aircraft have run over and killed people as well when they're being pushed back. You know, they get get caught, pull pull you right underneath the the nose wheel or the main wheel, and you know it's all over. You know, you just become a pancake. Well, um, not only is Captain Nick a tool, but he has a tool in his hands right now. That's okay. It's a family show. Um, it's a, a scrolling messaging thing on his iPad, and it's saying, don't stand behind dot, dot, dot. Oh, too late. <laughs> That's how I would have communicated. That's a good idea. The crew. <laughs> I need to get that app. That would be. Oh, it's uh, very good. I used it many times for trying to communicate with the ground crew when they didn't have a headset. So, Chance Barber in the um, in the Facebook chat is wondering what what app is that, Nick? Uh, it's called Scroll something. Hang on a minute. Uh, it's Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> uh, no, it's called Scroll Roll. Oh, Scrolling Roll. S C R O L L N. Scroll and Roll. R O L L. That's right. And uh, it's a great way of communicating with the ground crew. Scroll, and I'm writing this down, enroll. Scroll and roll, all one word. Okay. Interesting. Well, I'm we'll, we'll, that. We'll, put, uh, <laughs> we'll put that link in the show notes if I remember to put it there. Oh, sure, yeah. And um, um, I will not let Nick read this one. I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. Oh, thank you. Yes. Um, just, yeah, and you know why. Um, item E, uh, a, it phonetically. I know a KLM Boeing seven, seven, seven dash 200 near Phuket on May 9th, 2018, there was a thermal runaway of a passenger's mobile phone and they were flight 809 from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur. I was en route at flight level 390, about 100 nautical miles northwest of Phuket, Thailand, when the crew decided to divert to Phuket due to a passenger's mobile phone overheating and emitting a lot of smoke. The aircraft landed safely in Phuket about 20 minutes later. The airline reported flight 809 from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur made a stopover in Phuket. Okay, we're going to say the same thing again, aren't we here? Smoke accumulated in the cabin when a passenger's mobile plane, mobile, mobile plane, mobile phone overheated. The crew handled the situation well, and the captain opted to land the aircraft as a precautionary major. Um, I'm going to skip to the, uh, the the good stuff here. Looks like a passenger in the business class cabin had been asleep, woke up, put his seat into the upright position. I can kind of understand that. You know, you're, you're a little groggy after sleeping a little bit. Um, so put probably pushed the button that returns the seat to the upright position and uh, that crushed his mobile phone, which as a result suffered a thermal runaway of the lithium ion battery. A significant amount of smoke was released, concentrated in a small portion of the cabin, which was separated by curtains. Yeah. Again, you know, if you go to sleep uh, and the phone just kind of falls down and gets into one of those cracks, crevices, whatever of that seat, and then you just hit, you know, make the seat return to its previous position i can see this happening and i think it ac- actually happens quite often doesn't it um yeah it's so often that our crews uh, are trained and we actually have it all on all our paperwork on the aircraft people in seats like that they're instructed that if they drop something then they're not to move their seats call cabin crew and they will deal with it but of course if you're asleep and you didn't realize it yeah well you know it's gonna happen yeah um 
So let's see. The cabin crew used halon, fire extinguishers, and about 10 to 20 liters of water. I'm not sure the halon really does much for one of these fires, but I think the water really does at least help to um, cool cool down the batteries. And uh, I that think if uh, the seat is catching a light because oh, of the flames coming out of the torch, and the halon will probably um, okay. suppress that. But good idea. Yeah, the mainly water is the trick with this, isn't it? Um, initially the cabin crew could not move the phone out of the seat. The use of a fire ax and a change of seat position finally permitted to extract the phone from the seat. The crew subsequently secured the phone in a contain, a container filled with water and placed in the aft galley as dangerous goods. None of the crew had used oxygen masks or protective gloves. Mm. Two oh, cabin crew funny. reported irritations in the respiratory, respiratory, respiratory respiratory tract as well as the eyes your choice on those pronunciations Come uh, back, Steph. Um, two other flight attendants received i should cut down on the uh, beer drinking apparently <laughs> two other flight attendants received minor injuries to their hands the captain decided to divert to phuket and he, he was quoted as saying never mind uh due to concerns over the quantity of water used to extinguish the thermal runaway and the possibility that the, that the seat was still smoldering yeah, that good idea on the captain's part. Let's get this thing on the ground. We had a fire, and we're not sure it's out. The occurrence was rated a serious incident as and is being investigated. A picture of the phone, the very, very mangled phone is yeah. in yeah, this article. I made a mess of that. Yeah. I'm a little disturbed that the cabin crew, uh, when they say use oxygen masks, they don't use oxygen masks, they use smoke hoods. Um, because mixing oxygen with a fire is not appropriate, so they don't do that. Um, uh, having said that, um, they uh, also should have fire gloves. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't, it doesn't sound like they treated this like a fire incident. I don't know quite why, because our crews are so well drilled. You know, in uh, who who is at the front of the position? They've got a, you've got a timekeeper making sure that the smoke hood uh, bottles are. Uh, replaced regularly you've got a communicator you know everyone falls into place in a particular role when you're dealing with the cabin fire and it's very well drilled and taught in most airlines so i'm a little surprised that uh, uh it did they didn't do what i would expect them to on this one and would, particularly since it's klm you know, yeah, I know. would you say that pretty, the uh the crews at your previous airline were uh well drilled very well <laughs> that's what she said I can't speak from on my personal. Uh, of course not. Yeah, but <laughs> Only I, hearsay. I <laughs> exactly. Right. Secondhand information. Yeah. But no, not from personal experience. <laughs> but the KLM crews, uh, you know, you think they're, they're, they, I'm scratching my head They're pretty switched on normally. A bit surprised. Yeah. We, even in the lowly airplane that Dana and I fly, uh, we have those heat gloves or whatever you call them. And, and bag. Yep. Yep containment system or whatever it's just a trash bag mind you they're, they're not good when mixed with water uh, sadly so if they're pouring uh, a lot of water around when those gloves when they get wet they will start conducting heat now yeah so you know that's not they're not ideal now oh gray bag jeff uh, remember the gray bag yes <laughs> owen has just entered the chat room saying all cabin crew are well drilled <laughs> okay well that's Apparently. that's a good thing i think Yes, we do. We think that. We, we <laughs> applaud that. We do applaud that. Oh, we have to play this, of course, after all that. Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. Thank you, Matt Smith. He's always here in the background somewhere waiting to 
chastise us and remind us that it is a family show. Quite right. All right. Um, moving on to the next one in the news folder, F. Boeing is suspending production of the 737 MAX in January. Not a big surprise here, is it? Um, Boeing will halt production of its 737 MAX narrow-body jet in January, escalating the company's crisis as it prepares to end a year marked by accidents, scandals, and a plummeting public perception. The Wall Street Journal first reported the halts, citing a person briefed on the matter. This is from the businessinsider.com. The prospect of assembly being halted was raised over the weekend. Boeing first suggested in July that it could slow or suspend production if the jet remained grounded going into 2020. Boeing 737 MAX has been grounded worldwide since the crash of Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302, the second of two fatal crashes involving the jet within five months. And I think that was in March, wasn't it, of the this year? Um the plane's maker, or the plane maker's Renton, Washington factory, where the 737 Max is manufactured, employs 12,000 workers. A Boeing spokesperson told Business Insider that no furloughs or layoffs were expected at this time, and that employees would have, would continue 737-related work or be temporarily assigned to nearby teams. Uh, it was not clear whether Boeing's other facilities could absorb employees throughout a prolonged production halt. Throughout the time that the 737 MAX has been grounded, Boeing has continued to produce new units for customers, but it reduced its production rate from 52 planes a month to 42 starting in April. However, because of the grounding, Boeing has not been able to deliver the planes to customers and collect payment, which has led to a growing pileup at Boeing's various storage facilities. Uh, The manufacturer said it had a backlog of 400 undelivered planes in storage. So... More bad news for Boeing, and and now of interest, of course, it's uh, it affects places all around the world, and it's been on the news here in the UK that a number of UK aircraft part manufacturers uh, are going to suffer the same problem as a lot of the manufacturers uh, in the United States, in that they um, are you know going to stop working, and Boeing provides a lot of business to. Uh, small businesses uh, all around the world and with the the stopping of production it's going to affect economies uh, in all sorts of places you might not consider true the trickle-down effect of something like this is uh, yeah and some of these small manufacturers uh, you know this might be a major part of their company providing parts for uh, buying and uh, when all of a sudden they're told they're not needed anymore you know they are now sort of left hanging yeah one of the big um manufacturers out there that uh, is involved in the making of all the 737s and other um, models of aircraft uh, that Boeing produces is Spirit, um, which is not the same as the airline Spirit or Spirit Wings. But this company um, said that it's going to affect them like they do 50% of their work involves creating these fuselages. For, oh, and that's dreadful news just before Christmas. Yeah. I mean, it's dreadful news any time of the year, but, you know, with everyone's yeah. overheads and costs at Christmas, you just don't need to be having that worry on top of everything else. Yeah. Welcome back, Steph. Thanks. Sorry, I have myself <laughs> muted, so I... 
So are, are, do we have all the quirks and... Uh, you know, fingers crossed, it seems okay. to be working okay at the moment. It Good. took forever to reboot, and I do apologize. Oh, no listeners. problem. No problem. We were just uh, vamping with our news stories. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, but I'm glad you're back for this last one, because this is a good one. <laughs> oh, we're into the last one here? Yeah, yes. G. Okay. Got it. Aircraft sustains substantial damage. A teenage girl broke into Fresno Yosemite International Airport and stole a plane before crashing it into a fence, officials say. The unnamed 17-year-old breached the airport perimeter fence in California at around 7.30 a.m. local time on 18 December, which was, uh, we're recording this on the 20th, so just two days ago, according to local police. She climbed into a King Air 200 small propeller plane. Obviously, the person riding this from... The Does end. not have the, any familiarity with small not, planes. It's not a small propeller plane. It's not plane. a small plane. <laughs> it's a big plane. It does have propellers. Yes. And it's not as big as like, you know, the 737 we were just discussing. No. But it's not what but I it's would not call a, a Cessna 152. Plane. No. It's, no. And it's also, you don't need a type rating to fly it. However, you are required to have a SIM a checkout in the airplane. So it's required yeah, it's for a, insurance. It's, it's a Is complex that what they're going to charge her with, uh, flying it without a SIM checkout? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Anyway, so she climbed into the King Air 200 propeller plane and started driving it around in a circle. While the jet never became airborne, uh, excuse what? me. While the jet never became airborne, it's what? Not, a, not a jet. It's not a jet. It is a jet, jet engine, but it's jet? a turboprop. Yeah, substantial damage was sustained by the aircraft after the young woman crashed it into a fence. Vicki Calderon, the airport's public relations officer. Come on, if you're a public relations officer, you should know <laughs> that it's not a jet. Anyway. Airport and Fresno police attended the scene after receiving a 911 call. They found the girl in the pilot seat and wearing the pilot's headset. Thankfully, we have some audio from the cockpit voice recorder. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) It was the actual audio from the voice recorder there. Um, So she was having fun, apparently. Uh, She seemed disoriented and was uncooperative, according to Ms. Calderon. The girl was arrested and taken to Fresno County Juvenile Hall on suspicion of theft of an aircraft. Suspicion? Yeah. (laughs) We are suspicious. Yes, we are a little suspicious. Someone stole an airplane. She was the only one of the uh, we suspect. Well, yeah, she, her boyfriend uh, innocent until proven guilty. That's right. Her boyfriend had something to say about this whole thing when interviewed by a local TV um, outlet. She's a crazy psycho host beast, and I don't know what to do. You got to help me, man. He was a little upset about the whole thing. So, no passengers or commercial airlines were ever at risk in this incident, according to the public relations officer. Uh, the motive is still under investigation, but there's no indication of any ties to domestic terrorism. Really? <laughs> a little bit of a leap there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're trying to become important there at the Fresno Yosemite International Airport, apparently. Mm. Uh, they're working with the Federal Aviation Administration to investigate. Okay. So I thought that was fun. <laughs> yeah. I think that, did I read some read somewhere that she only managed to get one engine started? So that's probably well, that's why, why she was going to Didn't understand the premise of Yeah. I wonder, okay. do you think that she was like a student pilot or something? I mean, how how could she that's how pretty I mean, you know how you could yeah. be, but I don't the King Air starting procedure is a lot different than just turning over the key and I don't think you just like hit a button or something. You, you well, know it is, but yeah. This might this might be a case of somebody that uses a simulator, mm. i.e. flight sim, that can get in on the flight sim and you figure out how to start the airplane and flight simulator while the airplane's just the same. 
So you get into the airplane, you can do the same procedures. You don't need a key for King Air. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So. Do we need yeah. a key for our airplane? I don't. What? I don't think we do. No. For okay. ours? Yeah. I carry my, my set around with me all the time. The master key? Yeah, the master <laughs> key. All right. Well, that was fun. I mean, I hope she's, uh, you know, get whatever helps, gets whatever help that she needs. Um, yeah. Sounds like she's got bigger well, issues. Well, you know, she's a juvenile, so that's going to be helpful for her, you know, as far as, you know, charges against yeah, her and jail still, time. That's, it takes a lot to just say, hmm, let's just go to an airport and fire up a, a plane. Yeah, there must be more to it than, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Anyway. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. We want to know all about you, and perhaps you want to know all about us as well. And this is the segment of the show where we get all caught up on what we've been doing out there with our personal lives and also with our community members. we got a lot of stuff to talk about on this particular segment. I don't even know if we're going to have time for feedback after this, but we'll see. Um, So, let's see, who would like to go first and, and get us up to speed? Steph. Steph. Okay. I, mine won't take that long, so I'll leave okay. plenty of time for the rest of you with all of your fancy things going on here. Um, <laughs> mostly because we there was a uh, aviation community meetup. However, we did not record any audio or anything uh, useful for the show. Sorry. Way to go, I just freeze? Or am I okay? You're all frozen. Oh, I'm I'm good. <laughs> I'm frozen. Okay. I'm I'm warm. All right. Well, as long as you can see and hear me, okay, I'll continue. Yeah, you're still you moving. Can. Yeah. We can yeah. see you yeah. moving. Okay, excellent. <laughs> I don't, it's computer gremlins today, ladies and gentlemen. I have no idea what's going on. Anyway, um, so yeah, this past weekend, um, took a little trip up to Green Bay, Wisconsin. Was oh, that yeah. this past weekend? Yeah, yeah. it was. Okay. Uh, sometimes I forget what I've already talked about on the show. <laughs> um so I went and um, this was a trip that Dispatcher Mike and I had set up. Um, I am a Bears fan and he is a Packers fan. And those two teams with their very storied rivalry over the past hundred years. This was actually the 200th meeting of those two teams. Wow. Uh, yeah. Really? So, 200 yep, years? 200th. Yep. Well, not 200 years, but 200. That, that long? 200th meeting. Oh, 200th meeting, yeah. not 200 years. No. Okay. They're, both teams are have been around for a hundred years. So. Back in the Revolutionary War days. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they exactly. were playing football. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and that was just coincidence. But, um, you know, we wanted to get the it, it doesn't matter what team you're uh, you're rooting for. Uh, Lambeau Field is a, a cool place if you're a football fan. Um, lots of history there as well. And, and the Bears creamed the Packers, didn't they? The Bears lost. The but it was a good it was a close one. It was a close. They one. could have won it yeah. or at least yeah. tied it up. Well, yeah, I don't know. They, they didn't look nearly as uh, lively as the Packers. No. for most of the game so uh, but that didn't matter we had a great time uh, my dad and i went up we met up with um dispatcher mike and his uh, cousin who is local to the area was nice enough to chauffeur us around a little bit and uh, uh provide some brats and beers so that was great thank you very much jonathan that's i mean as you do in wisconsin um it was very cold um i forget the actual high temperature 17 fahrenheit so, yeah, man, when you first not, got there, it was like six degrees Fahrenheit, wasn't it? Yeah, it, was, it wasn't very warm. Um, our beer was freezing, so that tells you yeah, something. Yeah, we have some pictures of the, <laughs> the foam beer. that's frozen yeah. on the beer. Yeah. That's cold. Yeah, you know, you're, if you don't drink it fast enough, it ends up with like kind of slushy texture to it. Um, but yeah, it was it was a, it was a great day. Um, flew up from, um, I flew up from Chicago that morning because of uh, 
other uh, engagements on Saturday. Rhett was running a race, so couldn't get out of Charlotte uh, very quick uh, to get up to Green Bay on Saturday night. Um, great flight up from uh, Chicago to Green Bay. Really long flight, all of like 30-something minutes, I think. That um, long? <laughs> if that. And most yeah. of that time is actually taxiing around at O'Hare. Uh, anyway, we had a... Um, we had a almost unmanned flight. So the entire cockpit was female pilots, lady aviators. And there was one lone male flight attendant on the flight, but he was great. Mm -hmm. Um, And even the, uh, the jump seater was another uh, female pilot. So cool. Yeah. And um, Mike got a, uh, that's right. That's right. Uh, Mike was able to get a a photo of us on a final because you come over the stadium there. So they were already, tailgating and drinking beers and eating brats um, Mike, as Mike. we were in route. Yeah. And uh, actually was able to share that uh, photo with the captain of the flight. So that was pretty cool. Oh, neat. Yeah. So, so our, our network there. So yeah, uh, lots of fun and um, yeah, looking forward to more adventures in 2020. That's it. I thought you were going to say more about that. That was a, um, we were following you and the social meds and your, uh, your well, fun and then there. lots of, lots of, um, good beer was consumed. Actually, Georgia beer. Uh, we had yeah, terrapin I, beers. We were surprised. We have no idea why. That's kind of strange to me because when I saw the picture of you and Mike holding terrapin brewing, which is Athens, Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it's Athens. Correct. Yeah. Uh, up so in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, obviously Mike brought those with him. No, we smuggled them in. at the stadium. Yep. Huh. Okay. Interesting. And then, um, yeah, gosh, what else? I don't know. Um, so, I mean, was it like really, really cold? I mean, were you able to really enjoy it or was it? Uh... Yeah, actually, um, I mean, I was dressed very appropriately. It was sunny for the first mm, third of the game in our seats. Um, then the sun kind of set behind the stadium. Um, got a little chillier there, but... Did, never lost fe- uh, feeling in my fingers or toes at any point. Uh, so that was good. What about the last play of the game? Was that exciting uh, in the stadium as it was on TV? Yeah, it was. Um, I don't know. I still had the sense that, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway. Wasn't good. Very cool. But anyway. Um, yeah. And then we basically just turned around and, and came back home. So not much more to say about that, but it was a great time. Really enjoyed it. All right. What else? That's all I got. That's all you got? Stuff. Okay. I've been working all week. All right. Well, you know what? The rest of us have some a bunch of I, stuff. I told you I was going to leave plenty of time. For- okay. Well, you know what? Um, on, I forget which day, Dana can remind me, um, somebody in our community, Captain Rizzo, um, who has a, uh, uh, it's a great t-shirt, just the tip. Uh, he gives tips about uh, flying airplanes. And uh, it's a it's a wonderful T-shirt that I cherish. Um, he is uh, from Austin, Texas, and he uh, ended up coming up to the Atlanta area. Unfortunately, I think it was Saturday uh, yes, because was I was Saturday. busy on Saturday. I couldn't uh, join Dana and Captain Rizzo, Nick, uh, at the uh, – well, let me let Dana tell you about this. Sure. Oh, you want me to play the audio? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I thought you were going to say something. You were just queuing up for the audio. Well, I just thought you were going to say something before I played the audio. No, okay, here we go. go okay, I'm going to play the, the. I'm going to play the audio now. This is very professional, right here. What we're doing. <laughs> well, hello, APG community. This is Captain Dana, and I have uh, the distinct pleasure of having a last-minute meetup here in the wonderful. Whose phone is making all that noise? 
uh, on the on the me, rec- on the I'm, recording. I'm on, no, on the recording. <laughs> Here we go. So listen up for the 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 dings on the iPhone while this recording is going on. Well, hello, APG community. This is Captain Dana, and I have uh, the distinct pleasure of having a last-minute meetup here in the wonderful uh, city of Atlanta, Georgia. Actually, we're just in the northern suburb, just outside of the uh, world-famous Peachtree DeKalb Airport. However, uh, the gentleman that I'm going to introduce here in just a minute flew into Gainesville, Georgia, which is up by... Lake, uh, uh, I almost said my lake that I'm on all the time, that's Altoona, but it's Lake Lanier. Um, it's about a 40-minute drive from where we are, and about 40 minutes uh, as well for me. So we kind of met right here in the middle at a place called Bobo's Garden. I think I've talked about it on the show before, maybe, but it's fantastic, uh, authentic uh, Chinese food. Uh, so we just had a very nice uh, meal, had uh, some good liquid libations called H2O because um, we are meeting up as he's in the middle of a, uh, of a layover and uh, we'll be flying out later. But without further ado, I'm going to introduce Captain Rizzo, world's okayest pilot and CFI. Here he is. Hello, everybody, and uh, appreciate that introduction, even though it may be... Um put me up on a higher pedestal than I deserve to be on you know but uh we'll leave it at that uh, been a great time sitting here with Captain Dana talking about all things aviation and uh, alcohol because uh, I guess that's sort of just our two favorite things around here these times um but uh but anyways uh we miss Captain Jeff he had uh something else to do or it was just a bad excuse to not hang out with me again so um other than that, um, great food here at uh, Bobo's. You're in the area. Stop by here. Lo Mein, the dumpling appetizer, pretty solid. Can't go wrong there. And, um, of course, you can uh, find me on the Slack, too, if you want to hunt me down and ask me questions. But, uh, Captain Dana, I'm going to interview you now. So, Captain Dana, can you please tell me what was the most awful thing about our meetup today? Well, actually, I was going to pass the mic back over to you there, Captain Rizzo, because you didn't tell anybody about your background or, or what you're flying and how you ended up here in Atlanta. So I'll answer your question after you answer mine. All right. Fair game. Um, all right. So I'll tell you a little about my uh, backstory. I uh, came from a software and um, instructional design background uh, primarily, and um about three and a half years ago, at uh, the age of 36, I decided I just wanted to pursue the dream of flying airplanes. So I uh, started uh, my pilot training about three and a half years ago, just worked through all my ratings, became a flight instructor. And um, uh, once I approached about a thousand hours, um, that was about s- five months ago or so, I was lucky enough to uh, get a job flying a Lear 45 um, for a private owner. And uh, that's actually what brings me here today. Um, flying around, landed up in Gainesville, had a few hours, and decided I was going to meet up with uh, Dana here. Um, so now you get to answer my question. What's the worst thing about meeting up with Captain Rizzo today? Um, he has more hair than I do. <laughs> I'm jealous. <coughs> that's that's yeah, He does have pretty hair. Uh, if that's the worst thing I can say, it was it was a great meetup. Uh, just really enjoyed spending some time with uh, Captain Rizzo. 
um, and just talking about, uh, as he said, all things aviation over some really good food. Uh, and uh, thank you for reaching out to me. I'm glad we can make it work. And, yes, Jeff, we do miss you. Uh, hopefully next time we'll, we'll get you out. Anyways, uh, on that note, I'm going to send it back to you, Jeff, in the studio. We'll talk to everybody soon. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dana and Captain Nick Rizzo for that. I uh, was hoping to have a picture of Captain Rizzo's Lear, what do you say, 45? Yeah, it's Lear 45. Very nice, but uh, apparently I had some tech issues here. So just use your imagination. Looks like a I thought you were just using the uh, graphics from the last episode, 404. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, apparently so. (laughs) Shut up. The people are listening to the audio only oh, sorry. have it no idea like stuff file it's, not found it's so. amazing <laughs> well yeah. i can i can actually give a, a brief description most people know what the layer 45 but it is a real pretty photo mm-hmm. of the layer 45 white uh, white uh, top of the aircraft with some uh, a dark colored bottom with some streaks going on uh, from the nose up towards the engine towards the back uh, well, obviously the engines in the back, but towards the back, underneath the windows. But what's really pretty about the uh, photograph? It's it's in a sunset type of shot with the, a really beautiful sky behind it. Yeah. So, but uh, very nice. Really enjoyed meeting up with the uh, with Captain Rizzo, um, Nick. It was a a very enjoyable meetup, and you know he asked me a a question I was kind of kind of taken back by because you know it was just a a great time to, to get together. And, you know, there really wasn't anything bad about the meetup. So that's why I came up with his hair. Cause he does have very nice hair. <laughs> Nothing I ever noticed well, that, but I really you know. am sorry. I wasn't able to meet. I, I, yeah. um, because I'm involved with the uh, singing stuff on the weekends. I, I couldn't, uh, get away from that. So unfortunately, well, I'm, I'm glad I was around. I mean, it's unusual I'm around on all weekends. So, uh, it, it at least, uh, you know, we missed you. You were there in spirit. That's for sure. Uh, but uh, that's really all. Uh, that's really the only update I have. Uh, okay. That, uh, since then, I do have one thing he asked me yeah. uh, to mention his Instagram, if that's okay. Yeah. His absolutely. handle is at uh, Xplane Junkies. X P L A N E Junkies. J U N K I E S. Uh, that's his handle. Yep. Um, so there it is. He I also has a uh, YouTube channel as well, the same name, Xplane junkies if you do junkie that's some other kid that uh has a channel on youtube so make sure you put the (laughs) s on there junkies and uh thank you uh nick next time you're in town hopefully i'll be able to meet up with you as well looks like that uh restaurant that you guys went to was uh was pretty nice it's it's uh it's a it's you know what I would consider a dive. Oh, uh, but I mean, as long as the food's good, I don't care. Oh, the food. food's fantastic. Yeah. You, you, know, you just can't I like talk. dives. It's it's uh, it's as close as authentic as you can come come to here in the states. Well, at least in the Atlanta area, uh, they you know they have uh, live fish that they go in the tank. They take the fish out. You picked out the fish. They take the fish out, and it gets hit on the floor to knock it out. <laughs> And that gets cooked. So, I mean, <laughs> the, the menu is mostly in Chinese. Uh, you know, with pictures, you point to the picture, I'll take that. <laughs> and everything we've had there has been fantastic. One time we went in there and uh, this the, the guy, you know, we were looking at the menu. He walks over and he, he says, oh, I, you don't worry about ordering. I'll take care of you. He brought out one spread. I, I, I have no idea what he brought me. But let me tell you, the food was unbelievable. So that I'm, Chinese I'm very, accent very that you just that. used right there was perfect. 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 All right. Awesome. Thank you, Dana. Thank um, you, Jeff. Nick, 
have you uh, had anything going on between the last show and now and or any meetups or anything like that? Yeah, I've had a busy little time. Uh, and the first thing I'm going to mention, I got a message uh, from Joe uh, Feeler, I think that's how, how it's pronounced, uh, who lives in Wyoming, which I gather is the Cowboy County or whatever. Um, is that where all the cowboys live? I don't know. A lot of cowboys uh, in Wyoming. A lot of cowboys are here. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, he uh, he's... Um, he was organizing a, a birthday party for Barb, who Barb is a triple seven uh, pilot for uh, Continental, and then I guess they became United, and uh, she's just uh, reached uh, the uh, a grand uh, age of uh, uh, three score. So you can work that out for yourself. Um, you have to be, and uh, have to be so sensitive she's coming close thing. to retirement. Yeah. Uh, that was very and, diplomatic. And uh, and he wanted uh, me to send uh, a birthday a greeting for her, which I've done, but I thought I'd give her a shout-out tonight anyway. Uh, um, congratulations, uh, Bob. Uh, and I'm sure you have fun flying your 777. I was just trying to suggest that she moved to the A350 since their airline has some now. Um, but there you go. I don't know. That'll probably fall on deaf ears. So um, that was that. What else has happened? I uh, had a little meet-up. Oh, first thing that day, it was Tuesday. I picked up my new car, which is Ooh. now sitting in the drive looking uh, all red and black and smart. Uh, Have but, you had a chance to um, test the, the top-down feature on it? No. no. Oh. It hasn't stopped raining from the second I picked it up. It's, so it's it. I splash it around the countryside in it, going. Oh, this is this is terrible. But I'm, I haven't worked out how it works yet because it's quite complicated, and I'm only an airline pilot. So that's I'm very pleased to have that. Um, but I did later on that day meet David Powell, who's one of our listeners, and uh, got some uh, feedback from the meetup, which I think we might have some audio. Okay, yeah, let's play that right now. Hi there, Jeff. I'm uh, here in my local pub. And, uh, oh, uh, I've come down for a pint and a, a little meal. And guess who I bumped into? Well, it's David Powell, one of our marvellous listeners here from the United Kingdom. And uh, he's sitting beside me. And uh, great to see you again, David. Yeah, it's been really good to see you, Nick. It's good to catch up and uh, hear some of the stories. Well, that's very kind. That's very kind. What got you interested in aviation? I've always been interested to a degree. Um, I started with simulators. I've had the first 747 simulator for the BBC microcomputer. And I've always dabbed in and out all the way through for the years. But I, I just love seeing aeroplanes fly. I think it's magical. Excellent. Well, it's obviously you've been at this for a while. Now, you live up near a, a very nice airport, don't you? I do. It's a ex-RAF base, uh, RAF Finningley. I think it's Doncaster. It's the UK's newest civilian airport, I believe. Maybe. It used to be. <laughs> uh, it has some pretty good runways. And we see some interesting aeroplanes there. It's We see a lot of 737s and boring stuff. The odd whiz thing flying in but we also see some 747s and some military aircraft just floating in uh, for a look to see, to see what's happening well that's great uh, what's it called uh, it's called nowadays Doncaster Sheffield Airport it's also had the name of Robin Hood at one point or other and it used to be a RAF Finningley so uh, they've got a nice terminal now have they knocked down the officers mess 
No, all the old military buildings are still there. They're all let to different occupiers and officers. And we've got a nice modern terminal ready to expand when the airport gets enough business. So what's the best thing you've seen fly into there? Uh, the Vulcan. But the one they kept flying? That's right, which was based there. It's still, in fact, it is still there. Oh, really? Excellent. Well, it must be nice to be able to go and visit it. I assume you can. Uh, not so much nowadays. It's been kicked out of its hangar and it's hanging around outside, feeling rather unloved whilst they fundraise to build a building for it. Uh, I remember the old days when I went to the airport to pick up some currency, heard a strange noise, glanced around the corners, find it flying just above the runway, making a wonderful howl. And it could, couldn't it, with those four amazing Olympus engines. Well, what brings you down to uh, my neck of the woods? I travel around the country for work quite a lot, and uh, today I'm passing through from South London down to the South Coast to position myself for a day of uh, inspecting next week, tomorrow. And then you're back up to Doncaster, a long drive for you tomorrow. It's a four and a half hour drive, it's what I do most weeks, most days. Brilliant. Well, it's been great to see you. Thank you very much indeed for uh, coming down to my local and uh, buying me a pint of beer. Much appreciated. I brought down uh, my dog as well. Ruggers here with us, aren't you, mate? Yes, he is. Uh, and it's lovely to see you. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. Nice to see you. Back to you in the studio, Jeff. Well, thank you, Nick. Um, so that was lovely music. That, that was the music that was playing in the background of uh, your local pub? Of the cantina, yes. Uh, yeah, I, well, well, so nice, uh, I was thinking. Yeah, I, I, I had. Uh, if you're watching the video, I uh, we had some video also of uh, Nick's local pub. Uh, the, uh, the things going <laughs> Absolutely. on. It's very yeah. strange. It's I just, just kind of like that. In, I imagined in my mind not that that wonderful soothing music that you were playing in the back of that uh, feedback or that uh, meetup uh, audio. I, I more kind of imagined this. Well, I wish I'd used that now. <laughs> that would have been brilliant. I had to be very careful because I don't want to play too much of that because then I'll get a nasty email from YouTube about that. Well, well, David uh, did wield his lightsaber a bit, but we managed to keep him at bay, so that was fine. And it was a, it was lovely to see him, and thanks very much indeed uh, for coming uh, down, Dave. Um, the only other thing that I uh, have done this week uh, was uh, the PTUK Christmas extravaganza both you and i jeff appeared on yeah. that which has been recorded and will be played over christmas yeah i believe it's um, going to be released on the 22nd yeah so uh we and that was a hoot and a row i have to say it's always a bit of a um a bun fight it's great fun uh very amusing a little risque this week uh someone's gonna have to do an awful lot of uh, <laughs> yes, Cap captain <laughs> al was in rare form um, he was as he was, was captain nick Yes. Yeah, well, we all do our best. So uh, look forward to uh, hearing that. Uh, that's been it for me, I think. I don't think there's anything else. Excellent. All right. Well, I look forward to hearing the uh, Christmas extravaganza as well. I was sad I was not able to be there. Too many time zones in the way and work. I only made yeah, a little, a very short appearance because uh, of my wacky schedule that day. I got rerouted, and but I was able to be there for a little bit. Uh, my bandwidth was horrible, of course, um, but... Did the best I could with that. Um, last week, um, I don't know, midweek last week, or it may have been longer than that, I, I was contacted by, um, here in the uh, United States, we have a, uh, a channel dedicated to weather. It's called the Weather Channel. 
and they've been around for quite a number of years. They're based here in Atlanta, actually, and their main uh, studio is here as well. Anyway, the uh, producer for Jim Cantori, and those of you who are listening who know anything at all about the Weather Channel know that Jim Cantori is just like a legend. He's a legend, yes. Correct <laughs> word. <laughs> and Steph really likes this guy. Yeah, yeah. I do. And he, uh, anyway, he's a really nice guy. Um, and uh, so he said, I uh, was wondering if you would want to come on the um, the show or the the channel or whatever to talk about um, Christmas stuff, you know, and flying and that kind of thing. And I, and I really, uh, honestly, I thought that the, he was asking me to come on and talk about how it's kind of difficult to be a pilot or a, a air airline crew member uh, during the holidays because a lot of us, if you're not very senior, you are flying during the holidays and being away from your friends and family. And like as Dana is going to be, he's waving right now in the video. Um, so I, that's what I thought that he wanted me to talk about. And then when he followed up on it and I said, yes, I'd be interested in doing that. Uh, he said uh, he kind of sent me some questions and I realized right off the bat, nope, he hadn't. That, that was nothing like what he wanted to talk to me about. He wanted to know something about the Christmas lighting displays, holiday lighting displays this time of year. And the fact that for the last, I don't know, four or five years, they a lot of these displays have are starting to use lasers and how they know that lasers affect pilots. And they were wondering if these holiday lighting displays might affect pilots as well. And I thought, oh, okay, yeah, sure. I can talk about that. Not, I haven't been personally involved with any kind of a laser incident. I know Dana has. And uh, one of the questions asked uh, during the interview on the Weather Channel uh, dealt with that. And they even said, you know, Jeff hasn't experienced this, but you do know people that have. And then they continued to ask more about that. And then they asked some general questions about, you know, weather and, and flying airplanes and that kind of thing. So it was a very quick, um, about one seventy second. Uh, fraction of the length of a normal APG show. It was like two and a half, three minutes, something like that. And uh, yeah, the, this three-hour show, believe it or not, for us goes by like that. It's it's amazing. Did it, did it feel like you even is like said I, anything I didn't or? get to say anything, you know? <laughs> but uh, it was fun. Was, do you feel it was worth the effort of going through that and makeup and yeah. uh, and having the wardrobe, your special yes. clothes fitted. It was. And, uh, it was. So when he said, at first he was said, you know, we'll, we'll have you on via Skype. And they said, unless you're, you know, if you want to come to the studio. He said, where do you live? And I said, well, I live in the Atlanta area. He goes, oh, you can come into the studio if you want, if you're not, you know, out flying a trip. And I said, sure. And so I showed up. It was like a, the, the time slot was 742 a.m. And he said, get here no later than 640. And so there was. Right, so you can have a few drinks in the green room. Yes. <laughs> Calm your nerves. <laughs> loosen up your tongue. You know, actually, <laughs> actually, you know, I was a little nervous because this is live. I can't go in and fix it in post. Can't. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I hope I, I don't say something really, really stupid. And I think I, I don't think I did. I mean, I, it wasn't, you know, 100%. Well, not really, really stupid. Not really no. stupid. No. Um, but uh, I thought you were brilliant. Right so I, I, I got in really great. early. It's dark outside. And I texted uh, Josh and... And he came downstairs and opened the door. With a lot of a lot of security there, and uh, then took me up to a conference room. It's really dark in there, and a lot of really cool studio stuff. Uh, Nick, you would have loved it. Um, and uh, he said, "Okay, well, the first thing we're going to do is um, we're going to you know, send you over to uh, hair and makeup." And I went, "Really? <laughs> okay." Ooh. So went over to the thing, and um, 
one of the Weather Channel um, female Weather Channel people. Al, well, maybe I'm not supposed to talk about this, but anyway, there, uh, I recognized her. She's been on the um, Weather Channel for quite a number of years. She was in one of the seats, basically just sitting there talking to the makeup people, um, and uh, they brushed some stuff on my face, like powder or whatever. So my skin and then they looked shiny. at your mustache and said, "We've got a much better one if you want it." Yeah, we don't. <laughs> we don't know what to do with that. Do you mind if we shave it off? No, they didn't. Didn't touch my mustache and didn't touch my hair or anything. Well, who kind of, would want to touch your mustache? I don't know. I mean, I think. <laughs> listen, people, if you ever have the chance I mean, to see me, please do try to touch my mustache. I think you'd be impressed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. Um, yeah. So uh, then went back to the conference room. He kind of gave me a, a piece of paper that had some of the questions they were going to be asking me. I mean, kind of distilled from um, a lot more questions that uh, he had asked me via email. And uh, so it wasn't a surprise what they were going to say. And what they were doing was just reading uh, on the um, teleprompter. teleprompter. Yeah. I didn't have my answers on the teleprompter, though. That would have been That's nice. That's unfortunate. That would yeah. be nice. Uh, but, uh, so yeah, it, it, uh, was, it was interesting. Um, should I play just a little bit of it? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I think it's okay. All right. So lasers can cause flash blindness, especially for airline pilots. The FAA got 7,000 reports so of laser strikes in 2017. Jeff Nielsen is a commercial pilot who has been, uh, doing it for 30 years. Jeff, thanks for joining us this morning to talk about this. You haven't experienced this yourself, but you know, pilots who have, yes. how do they describe this? Well, they describe it as a, uh, a startling thing. It's like uh, a flash of lightning all of a sudden, you know, hitting you and startling you and distracting you. And it can, you know, be a risky situation. In what ways? How could it affect the pilots and or the flight? Well, this happens at night and your eyes are adjusted to night vision. And then you get this laser that lights up your cockpit and it temporarily blinds you. And, so yeah. So I'm trying to think, what, what, what Christmas lights should we have people avoid, especially pointing them at, at the sky? I'm trying to think of... Well, you know those displays that have like the snowflakes uh, lighting up the houses or the stars or whatever else? Yeah, yeah. As long as people, and these things come with instructions that say don't point them up into the sky because and most people aren't thinking about the effect that it might have on pilots flying by. Yeah. Well, sometimes the wind can like move the light display. Yes. Uh, in areas that you don't really so expect to. Them, yeah. So make sure you tie it down on both ends. Listen, your run-of-the-mill lights, those are totally fine. Those aren't going to cause any issues, right? But right. how far do these lasers, I mean, planes fly at 30,000 feet, or is this when they're taking off and landing, or can they really get that far? There are some laser beams that can reach that kind of altitude. Wow. But the ones that we're talking about here are usually like the handheld pen lights or the holiday lighting displays, which don't go up all the way to, to the 30,000 foot level. But if you're, if your house is, if you're living in a city and you're, so that means you're going to be near a, an airport, uh, that's when it's most critical because the airplanes are coming in at lower altitudes. Since we have so much of this in the forecast today and you're a pilot, I wanted to ask you, what's worse coming in an approach, a snowstorm or a thunderstorm? Well, since you're calling both of them storms, that's uh, indicating to me that it's unstable <laughs> yeah. air. And right. so I would say in that case, uh, probably the snowstorm because you have all that wintry precipitation and the instability. Uh, but uh, Plus you won't approach during a, a downdraft. Um, no, if we have reports of uh, wind shears or microbursts, no, absolutely not. Real quick, what airport is the most difficult to maneuver when it comes to the weather? 
probably ones such as DCA, uh, LaGuardia, that have um, restrictions, especially, you know, the White House and all the restrictions in DCA. Uh, when you throw in severe or inclement weather, it makes it so much worse. All right, Jeff, some interesting uh, information there. Guys, remember about the lasers. Uh, don't point them in the sky. Not to mention, that just freaks you out. Have you ever seen, like, a laser just come across your... I had to come in my living room one time. I'm like, what the heck? Well, you can find Jeff's podcast, Airplane Pilot Guy, anywhere you can download uh, a podcast. I was so good until then. <laughs> so close. Yeah, so close, Stephanie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know... That was nice that they it even very uh, you know asked if uh, they they wanted to uh, mention that. So it's not the airplane pilot guy; it's the airline pilot guy. Um, anyway, so obviously the people that are listening to the show right now and watching it know that. Uh, but it was a lot of fun, a new experience for me. That was uh, it was interesting and uh, and really enjoyed that. And if um, if Josh, if you're watching, uh, thanks again for. Uh, contacting me and he said that a, a lot of people have said how how did they come about you know coming upon you and uh, asking you to do this kind of thing and and I asked him that I said well, how did this all happen and he said that he saw something that I had tweeted or somebody had um, uh, put a uh, hashtag airline pilot guy or something like that on some tweet and then he ended up finding the podcast and watched that a little bit and thought hey this guy might be Okay, <laughs> to put on here on the weather channel. He, he must have. Have you listened to that podcast? Yeah, it's just okay. When everyone was talking sense. So what a really good. I was really hoping that they would ask me something about um, the show. And I said, yeah, it, our show is a lot like being weather forecasters. We're always striving for at least 50, 50% accuracy. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that would have been so cool. Uh, excellent. But they didn't ask me that. But, uh, that would have been well, funny. As a huge fan of the Weather Channel, I am. that was very cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I wish that uh, I'd kind of hung out there a little bit longer and saw more of what was going on, but it was a very professional place. Uh, it's a uh, really good people over there. And uh, speaking of really good people, we have some contacts, uh, some part of our APG community uh, who are involved with a very professional podcasting network out in uh, Northern California. It's called the this week in technology podcasting network or netcasting network twit. And uh, one of the guys that uh, follows us a lot, and he's just a, an amazing person. Um, he just moved from North Carolina out to Petaluma, California, uh, as part of their um, their staff now, full time. And uh, his name is Ant Pruitt, A N T Pruitt, and he uh, was on the uh, one of their really good, um, well, they're all good uh, podcasts called uh, This Week in Google, and he. Uh, during the end of the show, they kind of talk about their picks of the week or picks or whatever they call them. And he said this, and I was just blown away. I got a lot of folks that uh, sent us uh, email to let us know that we were uh, picked as uh, the um, uh, pick of the week or whatever on this show. So let me uh, share this with you. Uh, Aunt Pruitt. Uh, my pick of the week is advice to be mindful of your holiday lights. Um, Why? Well, friend of mine, Captain Jeff of the uh, Airline Pilot Guy uh, podcast, he flies for a specific airline, and he happened to be on a news station here recently talking about those Christmas lights shining up 
and hitting the pilot cockpits. No. Really? If you're in I know lasers areas, are terrible. Right. And a lot of people are using these lasers for part of their decorations oh. now. And so I wanted to just give a Look shout out to him. Look at this. When you see this, you, you got to think, you know, some of this is going to be blinding. Some of that stuff just pops in. He talked about, you know, you're going in on an approach or whatever, and then all of a sudden you get flashed. It's, right. it's pretty scary and pretty disorienting. Right. And I never even thought about that. That's, myself. by the way, a great podcast. I love that podcast. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I used to live right next to Charlotte Airport, probably like within six miles. So I was, I always saw the airplanes coming over my uh, my home. And I never even considered that right next door to me was called Christmas Town, USA, McCaddenville, North Carolina, uh, where they have some of the largest display of Christmas lights in the country, yada, yada, yada. And I always wondered about, you know, how is that seen from above, you know, and then his video comes up and he's like, yeah, some of those are great, but not so great if they're shooting us in the eyes. Yeah. Seven, <laughs> Jeff oh. says that 7,000 laser hits on uh, pilots in Insane. planes uh, in 2019. Insane. Airline pilot guy show. Uh, you can find it on YouTube, youtube.com slash APG show. This show is longer than, than ours. It's no. like three hours. Really? <laughs> I didn't think that was possible. It's like three hours. Coast to, it's a coast-to-coast -coast, uh, podcast. But it's yeah. so fun. I, I love listening to those guys. It's wonderful. Yeah. Shout out to you, Captain Jeff. Uh, All right. We could wrap this up. Okay. Let me turn that off. <laughs> okay. What uh, a great guy. Thank that, you. And brilliant. Yes. And that, actually, awesome. that was more thrilling, actually, for me personally, than being on the Weather Channel because... I mean, Leo Laporte is just like one of my role models. I just, you know, he's just amazing. And um, for the longest time, <laughs> Micah makes appearances on um, our main man. Micah makes uh, a lot of appearances on his syndicated radio show that he does every weekend called uh, uh, The Tech Guy. And actually, that was one of the reasons why when I rebranded this from Catholic Pilot to the Airline Pilot Guy show. Um, that I, I rebranded it to Airline Pilot Guy, kind of almost in homage to the tech guy. And uh, it's funny because Micah always is really great about plugging our show and plugging the Airplane Geeks podcast. And it's, it's funny because um, uh, for the longest time, I think that uh, Leah Laporte, the guy that's the, the head of this entire podcasting network out there, thought that Micah was the one that did the air, airline pilot guy. I almost said airplane pilot guy, uh, airline pilot guy show. And I think recently he finally started understanding that what, what Micah was saying is that he contributes to uh, our show and also is a big contributor to the, uh, and, and co-host of the airplane geeks. Um, but uh, I was so jazzed when I saw them put up on the video, our website, actually the uh, YouTube channel, um, with our logo and everything else. And I thought, oh, that's, that's so cool. I was so excited to hear Leo said, this is a good podcast. And I went, huh? <laughs> He's probably never listened to it. <laughs> but uh, I know the ant. I know the ant does. He's been a longtime fan of our show. And we are a longtime fan of ant. And uh, I just want to make sure that I plug some of the stuff that he is doing for the uh, Twit show. And, uh, you know, he's uh, oftentimes a panelist on a lot of their shows, like uh, their main one that they do on Sunday night, uh, the This Week in Tech. Um, also, This Week in Google, that was that show. Um, and he does a show, and now I'm 
struggling because I didn't write it down here in the show notes. Focus on photography. Hang, hang on. I think I have a screenshot of this. Uh, doesn't have any sound with it, so I shouldn't have to worry about that. Here we go. Um, focus on photography is his. It's an audio only podcast. That's part of the Twit lineup, and uh, he also has his own podcast um, that he does and with his wife. And uh, we'll put links to that in the show notes as well. So, thank you so much, Ant, for. Um, for for plugging us and promoting us, and uh, you know, before you know it, a lot of those people that watch shows on the Twit Network will be over here and be part of our community. So, thanks absolutely, again. I already listened to Twit. In fact, you put me onto it, Jeff, and uh, it is definitely one of my favorite shows. Uh, it it is about as long as ours. It's a good three hours, isn't yeah. it? Normally, yeah, it yeah. is. It is, and they uh, they uh, and uh, the, you know, uh, Leo does that and radio broadcasts and other podcasts he just seems to be on the go 24 hours a day i don't know how he fits it all in he's like one of those old school radio guys that i just really look up to i i love you know i just when like he goes on vacation sometimes for two three four weeks at a time and i i end up not really watching much um over there because when he's not on it's just like it's i love his personality and uh, his professionalism and everything else very there. smooth very measured voice yes. he's great filler there's never any dead air he always has something appropriate to say i'm very professional yes michael carroll's uh the host of the flying and life podcast um he uh, mentions in the uh, facebook chat that the uh podcast that ant does with his wife is entitled i have to be very careful with this one everyday everyday people doing everyday stuff podcast <laughs> it wasn't it's not stuff though it's yeah. something else but uh anyway it's really yeah, really entertaining he spelt stuff wrong yes <laughs> actually i think he spelled it correctly but yeah anyway. he did <laughs> sorry anyway. i have no idea what we're talking about like oh we're just talking about ant and uh the oh yeah and what he's doing over there at the uh welcome the back network thank yes, you welcome I, back. I, hopefully i will be able to stay this time who knows um no, um, um, Ant's a great guy. I had a chance to meet him when he was living here in the Charlotte area uh, before he moved out to California. Great guy. Um, definitely a huge fan of the show, and we're likewise a huge fan of his. Yes. Um, friend of uh, Tanya's, uh, so I met up with the three of them, or the, the three of us, two of them. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, very cool for uh, him mentioning us on, on his show. So yeah, it's like the, this very tight knit uh, podcasting community. Not necessarily aviation only. It's uh, encompasses a lot of different things out there. So it's fun for everybody to be supporting everybody. So and just before I dropped out, I heard him mention McAdenville, mm -hmm. uh, which is down the road from from Charlotte, not too far on I eighty five, and. I have actually never been to see the lights in that town because the traffic to try and get there, it backs up for miles on I-85. Just people wanting to see the, the incredible lights that the town uh, puts together. Um, Jeff, you need to do a night flight and go over it and blind yourself. It's also it's right next to Charlotte Douglas International Airport. <laughs> oh, just join the circuit. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, literally, like, you know, I have, a, a, I have a feeling that Steph would downtown. rather just be in her hot tub watching the, uh, uh the airplanes in the yeah, pattern. Yeah, definitely. With night. my, with the, the beverage. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. I think we'd all like to be in Steph's hot tub with a beverage. Mm -hmm. Yes, we would. Mm -hmm. Um, but it would be, there's a lot of people. I don't know how many it holds, but probably not. Not the whole community. Thousands of people. Six? Yeah. Six. Five. 
That's yeah. about the entire community. That's about Pretty it, much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah four of us. And, you know. and there's and the two listeners. The one, one or two listeners. Um, speaking of McAdam, um, that kind of t- – uh, how did we – did we talk about something related to Tarmac or something like that in the last yes, show? last show. Yep. Yeah, so I, I actually learned a, a lot from that, and I followed up on it and looked at the Wikipedia and – this, uh, I think it's John McAdam, a Scottish guy, and how he came up with this um, process for making roads with, uh, you know, uh, broken up small stones and that kind of thing. And it was fascinating. I love that kind of stuff. You know, the the uh, tr- the trivial information. That, uh, Absolutely. Anyway. Okay. That's enough of that. Um, next, uh, let's see, in, in January... Oh, by the way, I believe we're probably going to take the week off. That's not um, etched in stone, but uh, maybe next week we'll uh, take a break and not do a show uh, and uh, then resume after that. Well, I don't know. We'll see. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I won't miss you. No, I'm just kidding. I will miss you. Yeah, sure. We'll, Um, We'll all miss each other. Yeah. Or maybe we'll just get together and act like we're doing a show, but not actually publish one, so we won't have to. <laughs> now, that's only, actually a likely let's just situation. have a night drinking together. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, actually yeah. that sounds like I'll, a good idea. I'll, I'll be thinking about you guys while you guys are partying and having a good time while I'm out there slaving away. Oh, Dana. Right again. Dana, Dana, sorry. Well, I will be working alongside you. Not literally, but yeah, also working. Yeah. Okay. Um in January, the um, wonderful aviation podcast, the Plane Talking UK or PTUK podcast, they're celebrating their 300th episode on the 11th of January. And some of us from the APG will be attending. I know that Nick is planning on going and uh, yeah, just I'll, made I'll plans. my hotel room already. I'm ready. I just made plans for myself today. I booked a hotel room and I'm hoping that I'll be able to catch a flight <laughs> over there. <laughs> we'll see. Minor details, right? Yeah. Oh, we'll see. Um, and I'm looking at it myself. Yeah. Because so, uh, I might be off. And if I'm off, I'm actually trying to figure out if I can uh, get an, a ride on a 747, which I've never stepped Ooh. foot on. So I'm trying to uh, – there's a new announcement that uh, – a new code share that we can ride in business class on a specific airline. So I'm trying to figure out a way to f- check that availability in those flights. Cause I'm, I should look at that, too. No, um, not on the same flight. <laughs> no, not on the same flight. Dana, you should Ever know again. better than this. Has gone well for Dana in the past. Yeah, yeah. you should not. It has this not worked out well. You know? I love it. I'll fly to San Francisco first to make sure I get business class away from you. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so there's at least going to be one of us representing the APG, and perhaps the, all of us. The who, rest of us are all a strong maybe. Maybe. So uh, uh, hopefully that'll work out because uh, uh, those folks over there on the on the PTUK are just wonderful people. So would love to be with there over there uh, helping them celebrate. I want to see Matt's car. Oh yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Take it for a little spin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, I want to see Nick's car too. Yeah, me Ooh, too. Yes. Are you going to drive your car? You probably will have your... Scarlet Lady. Oh, yeah. I'll take her. She's going everywhere with me now. Yeah, I'm not talking about her. I'm talking about your car. Oh, okay. I've called her the Scarlet Lady. Oh, I got you. That was one of the uh, Virgin airplanes. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. Well, without further ado, I think it's now time for us to get into the feedback portion of the show. Well, hit this little button right here. 
Captain. Incoming message. Thank you. All right. Let's uh, go to the feedback folder. Marcus, who is another amazing podcast host. He has a, a podcast that deals with science and engineering, and he covers a lot of stuff aviation-related because, guess what? He's a pilot. He uh, is a competitive glider pilot. And has he published the book yet, Nick? Uh, if no, not, I think it so. should be uh, soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And we'll be plugging that on the show, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I've re- I have to say, the equipment that he flies it looks gorgeous i yes. i think it's very expensive and it is really high-tech gliding stuff and he flies over some amazing terrain his photo- photography is great too mm-hmm. and i have to uh you know say yes his equipment is marvelous <laughs> um and we have uh, some audio feedback that was uh, sent to, I think, Captain Nick. And it has something to do with our pronunciation of some Austrian name or something like that. Here, let me play, press this. The Austrian version of the name Boeing with the umlaut on the O would be pronounced Boeing. Boeing. Enjoy. Well, some say tomato, some say tomato. Others say Cessna, and we have people saying Kessner. Why not Boeing? It's same, same, but different. <laughs> Boeing. That's that not, second voice that, was Stefan, our uh, uh, oh, A380 pilot. Oh, I thought that uh, was. First thought, half was Marcus, uh, and the second was Stefan. I didn't realize that. I thought they were both Marcus. Okay. No, no, no. Unless there was yeah, a difference all, in the recording, uh, just, just they the all sound sound of it. They all sound oh, alike to you, did they? Yeah. <laughs> These Germans are like going crazy over I was trying to chalk it up to differences in uh, audio recording quality, but that should have been my first uh, clue there with the... That was quite amusing. They both sent in feedback about booing. <laughs> <laughs> sounded very like Inspector Clouseau to me. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does, isn't it? <laughs> this is a Chief Inspector Clouseau speaking on the phone. Well, thank you, Marcus and Stefan, for helping us uh, sort out the uh, the whole pronunciation thing of booing. Boeing. I, I st- I'm we're, more nev- conf- we're never going to get that I'm more right, confused so. now than I was, I, I ever was. I can't do that. <laughs> Boeing. Let's go with Boeing. Boeing, Boeing, Boeing. All right. Um, Christian Bass from uh, Richmond Hill in the uh, Toronto area sent us some feedback. And he said, here's a nice story from Craig Erickson on LinkedIn. Quote, flying home on Southwest Airlines tonight, and the flight attendant announced a young girl was celebrating her eighth birthday. They asked all the rows to push the call lights, and we all sang happy birthday. Then asked her to make a wish, and on the count of three, blow out the candle lights, and we all turned them off at the same time. Love their creativity and attention to creating great customer experiences. We'll put a link to this in the show. You can see that there's a wonderful picture here. It of, looks brilliant. It yeah, looks that like, does look really cool. Like a candle lit, you know. Because they dimmed yeah. all the other cab, all the other cabin lights are off, so it's yeah. just the call uh, button. It kind of looks like one of those, um, you know, uh, a big show or something where everyone's got their phones out with the lights on. Right. It's and then having her blow it out and then everybody turning them off at the same time. That's just so cool. So cool. Yeah. yeah. Well done. Yes. I'm just thinking of everyone turning them on at the same time, all the dinging. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> ding, 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 not, the, not the chime. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, that's right. They would Excuse if they turn me. them on. I actually on. want to go to the toilet, please. <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought of that stuff, but there yeah. must have been a lot of. 
I'm hoping that they told the pilots up front that this was going on because oh, I'm sure. Yeah, well, because I monitor. Well, I think I don't know how many pilots do, or pilots do this, but I always monitor the the PA uh, channel of our interphone, and every, anytime anybody hits their call button um, or the flight attendants ring their flight attendant call button, I hear it. So, oh, really? I didn't realize that would be audible. Well. Enough. Because if you're listening, the, at least on the airplane that I fly, mm-hmm. um, so if you if you are monitoring that channel and somebody hits the button, you, you'll hear that. Oh, and so okay. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm wondering if that works. In the so same I'm way. curious. So say there are a hundred seats. Uh, if everyone presses it at the same time, do you just hear one big thing? <laughs> I don't know. Or do you actually <laughs> get a hundred? I think it gets a lot things. like our, our clapboards where we're all trying to do it at the same time, but everyone's like, you know. Uh, one giant long that would be brilliant I think that there would probably be some smoke coming from the circuit breaker panel on the cockpit <laughs> what the heck I love it yeah so uh, thank you Christian for uh, for for sending us that uh, uh, LinkedIn post very cool um, item number three Andy has a question for us he said hello crew hope all are well happy hap- hmm. hope all are well healthy and happy to the point I was curious how pilots and air traffic control get on the same page about top of descents. Do they typically clear you to descend at your own discretion or will they start forcing you down at a point they find fit to match the arrival you're on? Secondly, what happens at the top of descent in the flight deck? When does it start to get really busy? Hoping to get my first solo by the end of the year between this podcast and another one. This community is what inspired me to continue flight training. Take care. Alpha Hotel. And then he puts LOL. Yeah. You, we, we can guess what the other podcast is that you're listening to. Yeah. Alpha and Hotel. So here we actually use names, Andy. <laughs> not, not initials. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that's a good clue as to the other podcast that Andy likes to listen to. And, and I, he's got good taste, I'd say. And hopefully he's posed the same question to them. So we'll have. just listen to their answer yeah. and then we'll come back and answer yours. There you go. Should we just say, just... Head over to Opposing Bases and yes. listen to their answer for this. Now, no. I got, um, Nick, uh, I have a feeling you might remember the old days when you were flying airplanes and we had to do the top of descent thing. So, uh, Oh, God, yes. I mean, for us, <laughs> it was quite a big thing because you'd just spent hours and hours and hours in the cruise and all of a sudden you had to start working again. So, uh, yeah, we used to uh, about half an hour before the top of descent which is about your average entire flight time. Yes. Jeff. Yeah, we <laughs> used to start, uh, you know, uh, tidying things up, getting everything sorted, uh, uh, getting all the information we needed, starting a briefing, et cetera. And it used to run that full half hour up to the actual top of descent. Uh, as to when we went down, well, it depended where you're going, really. A lot of airfields, say, like uh, New York, they would force you down pretty early. Uh, we'd be hundreds of miles north, and we'd be we're from our cruising level down to about 240, uh, and then again down to about uh, fifteen or 10,000, and we'd drag our sorry backsides in for miles, uh, way down. And I guess that's just to get beneath the traffic that's crossing above the approach traffic into uh, the New York area. Uh, but um, somewhere like uh, Heathrow or something, when we were, say, coming in from France, um, we would be handed off and we'd be looking at our little indicators saying that if you want to start your descent point, now's the right time. And we'd be really anxious. As soon as we got out of London, we'd be 
asking for a descent because um, the Airbus is a pretty slippery air, airplane. It's very smooth and aerodynamic, great glider. So if you uh, end up trying to descend uh, late, so you've been held up and now you're trying to do a steeper descent, uh, you know, you, you can't do much to... Uh, increase the drag other than put the air brakes out and no one wants to put the speed brakes out because it vibrates and we're not going to put the seat belts on until well into the descent so that passengers have that last chance to finish their meals and get to the loo so um yeah it was always a bit anxious to try and get an early descent down so we could close the throttle and just glide the airplane smoothly down. Very important for passenger comfort. Um, so, yeah, it really was. And once you started the descent, having got through that 30 minutes of briefing and preparation, um, it wasn't usually too busy uh, for the first half of this end. But once you get into the second half and you're into the terminal area and there's a lot more concentrated traffic around the airfield uh, there's a lot more going on then and you've really got to be quite responsive listen out carefully get lots of altimeter checks uh, lots of little step descents um, so yeah it, it is an awful a lot busier around that area hope that answers the question that is a great answer. Thank you. Um, the uh, more and more of the places that we're going to today and pretty much all the places that Nick flew into before he retired are using RNAV approaches. And a lot of these RNAV approaches have altitude constraints and speed restrictions and that kind of thing. That's all programmed into your flight management computer. Uh, and you get a readout uh, showing you how many miles you are from the top of their calculator or the computer's calculated top of descent point. And uh, the, the air traffic controllers are, you know, they know when it is that we need to start down uh, to meet these restrictions and such. Uh, so that's more and more the, the way things are going today. Uh, although we do uh, on the airplane that Dana and I fly, we fly into places like Little Rock and other smaller uh, places where they don't have these RNAV descent profiles, thankfully. I, I don't really like them very much because it seems like they're putting more and more of the onus on not only flying an airplane, but also navigating it and being our own air traffic controllers. And then if we screw something up, then guess what? They uh, try to take our certificates away. So um, anyway. Yes. But basically, you know, I think the idea that you're both kind of getting at here is that both uh, the pilots and air traffic controllers, for all intents and purposes, are following the same basic blueprint of what that airspace looks like, what the flight plan is. Um, so they're they're really both on the same page, even yes. though they're looking at it from, you know, opposite right. sides. Yeah. And they know about when most yeah. of the time that they're going to have, if they have to be at this point at 10,000 feet, they know about where we're going to want to start descending. If they don't already give us that discretionary descent um, at a certain point, uh, we will we will say request descent. And mm -hmm. that kind of clues them in because sometimes they get busy and they forget like the other day on the last trip that I just flew, um, we were up at altitude and they switched us over to a new Atlanta center frequency. And I'm thinking that's odd because normally before they switch me to this next frequency, they've already given me a discretionary descent to 24,000 feet or flight level 240. And I'm thinking, I think they forgot about us. And then we checked in with a new frequency and we told them that we were level at flight level 310. And they said, they uh, didn't give you a descent? And then we said, nope. <laughs> they got, okay, descend across this point. And, you know, so we had to kind of hustle down. And I, I looked over at my first officer and I said, yep, I thought that they probably forgot. 
to give us that descent clearance. But uh, yeah. so we work together. Yeah, go ahead, Nat. That's always the problem. If they leave you a little high for too long, they might be crossing traffic underneath you or something, and you've got a constraint to meet. Uh, and that's always the problem because you've got to really stuff the nose down and get the airplane down on time. And then what they'll inevitably do is ask you to reduce speed at the speed. same time. <laughs> and if anyone knows anything about airplanes, yeah. you can't it, do both. <laughs> yeah. No. You can trade one for the other, but can't do both at the same time. And, and the old adage is when they that when they have screwed up and they tell you to make you know a certain altitude and a certain speed at a certain point, uh, and they you say unable, and the and uh, the the old adages or the old um, I don't know uh, meme same is phrase, uh, like yeah, uh, don't you have speed brakes? And then the response from us is speed brakes are for my mistakes, not yours. <laughs> So, anyway, uh, great question, Andy, and uh, good luck with your, uh, what do you say? He's, uh, His first solo, solo. so uh, yeah. by the end of the year, you got uh, two wow. weeks. We look forward uh, to hearing know. all about that, Andy. Yeah, seeing a picture of you behind, beside your airplane yes. with your L plates torn up. Now, I guess in the t-shirt. in t-shirt. the GA world, what happens, Steph? They do something with your T-shirt? or Yeah, they'll cut off the back of your T-shirt and usually draw some stuff on it now. But that has to do with back in the day of sitting, um, not side by side, but tandem. And when your uh, flight instructor needed you to do something, they'd tug on your on the back of your oh. shirt you know, to get your attention. Um, so that's <laughs> symbolic of letting go of that back of the, the shirts and you're on your own. Well, you know, my oh, first solo in a T-37 jet trainer in the Air Force Oh, I wish it were just a t-shirt kind of thing. They, everybody in your squadron grabs you and they throw you into the dunk tank. Nice. And guess what? If it's that time of year where the, uh, the outside air temperature is cold and the water temperature is cold, well, it doesn't matter. You're still going to get dunked in that dunk tank. And it's (laughs) not. I I actually have my, uh, my t-shirt. It's actually in the room next door. I should go grab that. I think I've seen that. Um, yeah, and uh, funny story behind that. I think when I, um, I, I don't remember exactly, but I must have been working that day or, or something uh, that I ended up doing my first solo because the outfit I was wearing was not suitable for removing the back of the T-shirt with scissors. Um, but at the FBO, just happened to have extra T-shirts lying around. So oh, they maybe change into that one and then, you know. Yeah, I, was like, Thanks, I think you just cut through my bra. <laughs> it was like my nice dress, shoe, <laughs> dress shirt or something. <laughs> Like, wow, and I didn't expect to be. Uh, that was it was a surprise to me that I was soloing that day. Oh, so, probably not a surprise to my instructor, but a surprise. No, to me. you know that's it's uh, the best kind. Yeah. yeah, it is. I remember doing that to some of my students because actually, it I think it works in their favor uh, because they don't get all nervous about it. I wasn't nervous about it. Well, I was nervous when he. He's yeah, like, okay, just pull over here, and he just gets out. I'm like, where are you going? He's you don't like, have like 24 you, hours of nervousness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had you know. 30 seconds. And then I was like, all right, guess we're doing this. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Uh, Colin in the chat room said, uh, I asked a pilot if he could lose 10,000 feet in the next 25 miles. Answer, I can, but I can't bring the airplane with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's all right, that answer. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? I'm looking at the timing here, and I think if it's anything close to reality, uh, we have about um, – a little over an hour left in the show, and that's usually the time where we get to the best part of the show, which all of you know is the Old Pilot's Plain Tale. And this week's is entitled, Loop-de-loop, flip-flop, Santa's got an airplane. I hope I did that 
Okay. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right, here we go. The old pilot's plane tails. Loop-de-loop, flip-flop, Santa's got an airplane. This Christmas tale is dedicated to our listener and friend, main man Micah. Even though Christmas doesn't actually feature in his religious calendar, and he will be eating Chinese on Christmas Day. He used to be a radio DJ and has an encyclopedic knowledge of music from his era, but this is one even he might struggle with. It goes like this. Cause loop-de-loop, flip-flop, Santa's got an airplane. Loop-de-loop, flip-flop, flying in an airplane. Loop-de-loop, flip-flop, Santa's heart's full of joy. Loop-de-loop, flip-flop, Santa's got a new toy. He skydives down to the chimney with ease. Parachutes a package to the whole family. It's Santa's air special delivery to under your tree, etc. I quote the song, which comes from a surprisingly famous band for such dubious lyrics, as it's a bit of a lead-in to the other part of this tale, which comes from Micah's stomping ground up in the northern wilds of New England. That's a part of the United States uh, that has, for me, a surprisingly homely feel. Within its area are names very familiar to anyone from Britain. Hartford, Rutland. Newport, Cambridge, Gloucester, Lancaster, Windsor, Belfast, Brunswick, Rochester, Portsmouth, Bath, and of course Boston, where my first son was born, uh, the one in Lincolnshire. And there's a banger in Maine and a banger in Gwynedd, the oldest city in Wales and one I frequented when I served as a flying instructor at Valley on Anglesey. The story for Micah is one that, I hope, he hasn't heard before, despite featuring in one of his local newspapers as recently as 1997. The story stretches back to 1929 and involves a main float plane flown by Captain William Winkarpar, a native of Friendship in Maine. It's not a big place. Back in 2010, it had barely a thousand inhabitants, and back when William was born, it was smaller than that. The rocky coastline of New England has always been a difficult and dangerous place for mariners to sail. There are hundreds of wrecks off the coast, but the combination of the busy sea routes to England and the rich fishing grounds meant that there was always going to be a surfeit of vessels trying to navigate the treacherous sandbanks and reefs that lay hidden just waiting to drag the unwary down to Davy Jones' locker. As a result, the communities who lived by the sea kept guard, ready to assist vessels in distress, and dozens of lighthouses and coast guard stations were built to help those who sailed the waters there. Wincorpo had started flying way back in 1911, and by the 20s he had a seaplane base in Rockland Harbour. 
He had been a pioneer in the early days of aviation and was well known around Penobscot Bay area as a skilled and adventurous pilot. He flew a variety of aircraft, but was most at home in amphibious floatplanes. The landscape of Penobscot Bay being made up of numerous islands, floatplanes had become a most practical means of transport. At this time, Captain Wincopo was overseeing operations of the Curtis Flying Service at the Rockland Airfield, as well as the nearby seaplane base. He flew the coast of Maine and used the lighthouses as navigation points to help him get around, particularly when the bad weather that often plagued the area closed in. He was well known for transporting passengers and cargo along the main coast and he frequently took to the air in less than ideal conditions to provide transport for sick or injured islanders. His brave flights, often in poor weather, were responsible for the saving of many lives. On lots of these flights his only means of navigation were the lighthouses maintained by keepers along the coast. He developed friendships with the families that kept these remote, life-saving beacons alight. When he was out and about, the keepers would keep a watchful eye out for his plane. They made it a habit to relay word back to the airfield whenever he had safely passed their position. On calmer days, William would often land at a local lighthouse, tie up his aircraft and spend some time chatting with the keepers. He had a great deal of admiration for these men and their families who lived such isolated lives as many stations were far from even the smallest towns where they might get supplies. The brave souls who worked there had to rely on infrequent resupply from ships and might have to wait months for the next delivery particularly when the weather was set against them. On one particular flight, he had become lost in a snowstorm, but eventually sighted a familiar beam of light cutting through the bad weather. It was Dicehead Lighthouse at Cape Rosia. A few days later, it was December the 25th, 1929, and that was when William Wincorpo started his very special flights. He loaded up his aircraft with a dozen packages containing newspapers, magazines, coffee, candy and other small luxuries that might make living on an isolated island in the middle of winter a little more bearable. He set off in his float plane and visited lighthouses around the Rockland area, dropping his modest gifts off to the families who lived there never realising just how well his gesture of Christmas goodwill would be received. He flew home to spend the rest of the day with his family. Then word came back to him in the days that followed that his gifts of Christmas cheer were exceedingly well received. The keepers and their families were touched to be remembered on this special holiday. A simple gesture of thanks had made the day so much more special for the residents of these outposts. Wincorpor realised that this yuletide flight deserved to be repeated, 
and he tried to include more of the lighthouse families and Coast Guard stations along the coast into Massachusetts, Rhode Island and Connecticut. William was eventually joined on the lighthouse trips by his son Bill Jr., an aspiring pilot. The Wincorpors didn't consider themselves Santas. This title was fondly bestowed on them by the recipients of their goodwill. Eventually, Captain Wincorpor began to dress for the role in a big red flying suit with whiskers and all. By 1933, the Wincorpor family had relocated to Winthrop, Massachusetts. Their Christmas flights now took them to as many as 91 lighthouses and Coast Guard stations. The cost of the program started to expand, but fortunately they were able to find sponsors in the business community, including Adriel U. Bird, president of the W.S. Quimby Company of Boston. This was the parent company of La Touraine Coffee. Thus began the connection to one of the program's longest-running sponsors. In 1934, Bill Jr., at the age of 16, was the youngest licensed pilot in Massachusetts and was well on his way to following in his father's aviation footsteps. That same year, he piloted part of the lighthouse routes with his father. The following year, he would fly on his own to a number of the lights. It was about this time that Bill Jr. introduced his father to Edward Rose Snow, one of his teachers at Winthrop High School. Mr. Snow, a native of Winthrop, had always had a keen interest in the sea and ships and the history of the New England coast. He was a descendant of sea captains and would eventually become one of the most well-known maritime authors and historians. Captain Wincorpor was looking for additional help with his growing schedule of flights and knew that Snow was the right man for the job. In 1936, whilst the elder Wincorpor flew the northern route, Bill Jr. and Mr. Snow flew to 25 stops in southern New England. By 1938, Bill Sr. was to be found in Bolivia, flying gold and mining machinery over the jungles and mountains of South America. Unable to make it back to New England for the Christmas trips, he called upon his son to make the flights with the assistance of Edward Snow. The Winkorpors had shown him the ropes, and Ed Snow was now in it for the long haul. The flights all went off without a hitch. Before long, both Bill Sr. and Bill Jr. were heavily involved with the South American cargo flights and would be unable to return, so it was up to Ed Snow, with his entirely appropriate name, to take over full responsibility for these wonderful charitable flights. Now known as Santa Snow, both Ed and his wife, Anna Merle, organised and packed and delivered hundreds of parcels up and down the New England coast. They dropped their presents on parachutes down into the waiting arms of the families below, and in that way could get to everyone in time. Wiggins Airways got involved and provided an aircraft and an extra pilot, Charlie Cowan, and for the next 60 years they would help by providing much-needed transport. Sadly, the start of the Second World War curtailed the Christmas flights. 
Bill Jr. had made his way to Pensacola to become a flying instructor for the U.S. Navy. His father was still flying in Bolivia and couldn't make the trip north to join him, but Santa Snow managed to get permission for a flight on Christmas Day, 1941, to drop to 35 locations. He went to some lengths to try to avoid being shot at by trigger-happy coastal defences by putting a huge banner down the side of his aircraft reading Christmas Seal Plane in big red letters. As the war progressed, the flights had to stop when Ed Snow and Bill took up wartime obligations. Ed was ferrying bombers to England and then he joined the search over the Atlantic for enemy submarines. With peace came happier Christmases for the Lighthouse families when Ed Snow restarted his familiar Santa-related duties. Then tragedy. During a drop to the Keeper's family at Kitty Hunk Island off the coast of Massachusetts, a little girl was heartbroken when a doll meant for her was smashed as it parachuted down onto a rock. Hearing of this, Santa Snow took decisive action, and the next year he chartered a helicopter from Wigan Airways to ensure a safe delivery. Christmas 1946 saw Santa setting off from Boston Airport in one of the very first commercial helicopters to make the rounds of the lighthouses. Roy Beer, a pioneer in helicopter flight, was at the controls. The little girl's father was now the keeper at West Chop Light on Martha's Vineyard and the family met Santa and his helicopter when it landed at the nearby Gayhead Life-Saving Station. Now back from the war, the Wincorpors were able to take part again. Bill Jr. was now the pilot of a DC-3 with his father in his 60s at the rear throwing packages out of the door to drift gently down to the grateful families. It took two days of flying to cover the 115 lighthouses and coast guard stations from Cohasset, Massachusetts to the Canadian border. That year, the Wing Corps made sure the flights were completed before Christmas Day, so that for the first time in 18 years, Captain Wing Corps' wife would have him home on the holiday. Sadly, the next summer, William Winkorpor Sr. would suffer a heart attack shortly after getting airborne from Rockland Harbour. His cub cruiser seaplane nosed down into the sea and both he and his young passenger were killed. What was supposed to be a wonderful joy ride up and down the coast had ended in tragedy. The memorial service was held in Rockland that was attended by lighthouse keepers, their families, island residents and representatives of the Coast Guard, Navy and Army. And at two o'clock, as the service began, foghorns and lighthouse warning bells ran out across Penobscot Bay in memory of Captain William H. Winkler, the Flying Santa, of the lighthouses. Over the years, the Christmas flights that William Winkopor had started would change in nature, and others would take up the challenge of delivering presents to the much-deserving families of the lighthouse keepers. 
the reach of the flights would grow as far as lights on the Great Lakes, Bermuda, the Equilon Islands, and even the remote Sable Island, 100 miles east of Nova Scotia. It was at these remotest of places that the Flying Santa's visits were most cherished. Away from the trappings of the holiday's commercialism, these isolated families greeted their red-suited guests with enormous enthusiasm. By 1981, Ed Snow was too ill to make the flights anymore, but word of this reached Judith Van Ham, the director of the Hull Life-Saving Museum. The museum was in its infancy and their budget was small, but after a number of phone calls, the services of three different helicopters were obtained and Ed Snow was able to rest, secure in the knowledge that someone else had picked up the torch. The flights would continue to this very day. Ed Snow passed away the following year. And if you want to make a donation and find out more about this wonderful cause, then why not visit the Friends of Flying Santa at flyingsanta.com. What a great story. And it didn't involve like crashes and people dying. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, they're hard to find aviation stories that don't involve (laughs) dramatic crashes. All the the good ones don't make the news. uh, Exactly. No one one writes, and all was well. Yeah, I was just delighted to find one. And of course, as soon as I found out where it was all happening, I immediately thought of Mike, and I thought he would really enjoy that story. So we we really need to get you up there uh, to the the main uh, coastline, mm-hmm. Nick. Uh, you'd love it, actually. I, I'm sure I would actually, and and my lovely wife Julie uh, has told me that she would like to go up there as well. So uh, it might be a, a good thing to do this autumn, perhaps. Uh, or, APG you know, meetup. <laughs> there you go. That, that would be that would shoot us down to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Great story. Yeah, that was lovely. And nice that um, you can still donate to to that. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I mean, I only told the very beginning of uh, mm-hmm. the Flying Santa story, which I I personally found the most interesting. But of course, you know that continued on right to this very day. Uh, generations of pilots have. Uh, uh, made sure that they continue uh, to, uh, you know, go and help out these folks who are doing such a marvelous job through the holidays uh, and often from very remote uh, places where they don't see a lot of other life. They see a lot of people. The, the, the visit they get on Christmas is is very special to them. Very cool. Excellent. Okay. Well, let's continue with some more feedback. What do you say? Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, four Richard. Good evening. All I was listening to your podcast from 11 December on my long commute and had some information that I felt might elaborate on the accident that happened in Kingston recently for background. I did the majority of my commercial training there, as well as being a former flight instructor. Even now I fly in and out of the airport in a professional capacity. So hopefully I can lend a little bit, a little more to chew on the, let's see. Hopefully I can lend a little more to chew on in this. There we go. 
There are two runways available for use in Kingston, being 0119 and 0725. The only runway that has a traditional instrument approach is 19 with an ILS and NDB provided. All others are RNAV only. The aircraft itself was found pretty much on the approach for runway 19. I happened to look at the METAR and TAF that day in the morning for the uh, for that airport, and it wasn't a good day in general to be flying with marginal VFR at best listed, with the winds favoring, I recall, runway 25 and a considerable gust factor. Kingston itself is right on Lake Ontario near the mouth of the St. Lawrence River with the airport right on a bay with a river flowing past it. The Great Lake effect can be considerable considerable there with some delays the airport reporting vfr weather while everything else in the province reporting ifr while other days fog can literally sit right on the airport shutting down operations while you can see the runways halfway out of it i generally don't speculate on accidents until more comes in but i'd like to point out other things that can happen to pilots no matter how many hours they have and the experience they have, because we're still human. The accident happened just before the American Thanksgiving weekend, and it was stated that this pilot was taking family to see relatives in Quebec. He may have put pressure on himself to get there, despite weather, but since we don't know what he did for flight preparation, weather, flight brief, no dams, we won't know his state of mind. Icing could have been a factor, but I'll put a reminder out about CFIT, our controlled flight into terrain, or spiral dives. I remember when teaching students recovery from um, unusual. I remember when teaching students recovery from unusual attitudes under the hood, that while spins announce themselves pretty violently, a spiral dive is often an insidious killer that often gets recognized too late. They most often happen when descending and in a steep turn, rapidly eating altitude and gaining airspeed until an ugly end. I leave the conclusions to more experienced people that conduct these investigations, but I sense that this will be listed under pilot error. We can build likely scenarios all day about what caused this tragedy, but hopefully everyone should learn from these moments. It reminds us why we do the training, why our instructors keep hammering away at us about safety at all stages of flight, and to always keep learning. Do keep up the good work and hope all your approaches are above minimums. And again, that's from Richard. Thanks. That's that was, a good analysis, isn't it, Jim? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So, uh, Steph, yes. what? Uh, I'm not sure I understand completely the difference between a spiral dive and a. I think he's talking about a graveyard spiral. Oh, okay. Um, which we've discussed before, which is uh, so you know he's talking about a spin, which. Uh, unless there's something very unusual going on, you're going to realize that that is a very unusual attitude and there's something quite wrong. Yeah, it doesn't feel normal. <laughs> doesn't feel normal. Um, a graveyard spiral is a little different, though, because it's, uh, it typically happens when you don't have visual references. Uh, so you don't have your eyes telling you, hey, you're not in a normal position. And it usually occurs with uh, very slight inputs to start with. So you make a turn. Um, But if the turn continues and you don't come back to normal, your uh, inner ear is basically telling you that, oh, now we're in straight and level flight and this is okay. That's the the new normal. (laughs) Yeah, the new normal and the turn will continue and continue and basically you're losing altitude in this turn until it reaches a point where you can't recover from it and results in a crash. So, yeah. Okay, I can see Uh, why that's what he's referring to with the spiral dive. And the insidiousness. 
correct. Yeah, not often not well recognized because you're getting conflicting inputs from your uh, sensory system. The uh, vestibular system in the inner ear doesn't give you uh, the correct cues there. Yeah, your inner ear only really indicates acceleration. So when you mm-hmm. actually start banking the airplane and it's got you to be it. over 15 degrees a second and at the end of that you can't perceive, uh, yeah, you feel that. But um, once you've got it in a banked situation, everything returns to normal. And uh, if you were to close your eyes, you would feel as if you were straight and level. Sure. And I think the uh, you know if that turn continues for about 20 seconds or so is the uh, – usually the sighted time. So it's a, it's yeah. kind of a gradual turn and one that persists for a long time. And then, you know, you don't recognize that you didn't come out of that turn. I mean, isn't it cited as one of the most likely reasons for a crash for inadvertent entry into, into IMC? Yeah. Yep. IMC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hmm. Cause you start turning, you, you don't have, you're looking for outside visual cues to tell you if you're straight and level, you don't have those. Uh, and it's very hard to tell that you're, if you're not watching your instruments and relying on those, it's hard to know if you've actually entered a, a turn or not a lot of the times. And that can just continue to the point where it becomes a, an accident. Well said. Thank you, um, Richard, for your feedback. And hopefully we'll learn what did happen in this terrible accident. Um, I just realized I don't think I did our coffee fund segment, did I? I think I skipped right over that. Fix it in So I think that, no, uh, I'm going to fix it right now, live. So here we go. Sorry. Bear with me, please. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea. And the Java and me, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Okay, the coffee fund is your way, dear watchers, listeners, to support the show. You noticed we don't have any advertisers on our show. Nope, it's listener-supported, community-supported, and we do appreciate that. And if you want to be part of this great group of folks that do that, you can do it a couple different ways. One, the classic method via PayPal, and since the last episode, we have some recurring payments from David Lieb, Chris Randall, Terry Liu, and a one-time payment from Philip Biggin. And so thank you very much, all of you, for contributing via the uh, classic method. The other way to do it is to become a patron of the show via patreon.com. And we have uh, some new producers. We have Andy Orzula. George Leslie, whom I met at a meetup in Toronto, and Sam Wiltzius. And so welcome all of you to the uh, Patreon, uh, Patron League, (laughs) the Coffee Bar Club, as Nick likes to call it. And uh, also, Magnus has been a, a patron of the show for quite some time, and he just did the same thing that Robert Fairbairn did last week. He doubled his patronage from five to ten dollars per episode so thank you magnus thank you very much let's see let's do a wow wow and there we go so thank you very much for that and if you want to uh help us out financially please head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee you'll be glad you did and we will we will too (laughs) we will Easy for I you to say. crack myself up sometimes. Okay. Um, 
Hey, fixed. real quick. I think yeah. I left out part of a crucial part of that graveyard spiral um, the description. Not too late. <laughs> I was going to correct ahead. my error a second. No, it just, it actually involves, a, a, so after you've started the turn and you're, the, you know, it persists for a long time, but then you correct it, you get a false sense that you're perhaps turning when you're not turning. And then, so you re-enter the turn. So I, I left out that extra oh. part of it. There's more than one. It's nasty. It, but yeah, it's, it's really not a good thing. So I'm glad anyway, I just wanted to. To throw that glad in there. I asked you about that. That's uh, no, you, I know you didn't, but well, hope I never yeah. experienced that myself. Okay, um, moving on to item number. This is a fun one. Uh, item number five and six. These are actually a a uh, they go together, and just like the two people that sent this in, Rebecca and Barbara. Rebecca being in the Philadelphia area, Harrisburg area, and Barbara being in the uh, the place, the Sherwood Forest, um, Nottingham, right? The Robin Hood thing? Isn't that where yes. she's from, Nottingham? Maybe. Yeah, come on. I feel like I should know. Yeah, she And I'm not sure. Sorry, Barbara. Nick, you're, you're muted. I we can't hear you. Sorry. Nottingham. We Not- don't say Nottingham. ham. Nottingham. 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 Thank there you, you go. That's perfect. That's very good. <laughs> I won't be able to do it again. All right. Um, they sent us some uh, feedback, uh, video feedback with audio. And so I'm going to attempt to uh, play this on the video. And of course, you uh, folks who are listening to the audio only podcast will only hear the audio. So let's give this a shot, shall we? Here we go. Yes. Okay. Hello, everyone. Hello, everybody, and um, APG and all the podcast community. I am now in Becky's car on our way to Philadelphia Airport. I'm going to be leaving the United States after a fantastic 10 days. Um, firstly, in Chicago, then Oshkosh, and then in Pennsylvania. And I've had the most fantastic time with Becky. Um, and I'm going to pass you over in a moment to Becky, uh, but we're on our way. So, um, unfortunately, I actually have caught a cold, um, but uh, we're going to get through this, aren't we, Becky? <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, we're driving along the road on one of, one of our many day trips, and um, I got really sleepy, so we started comparing songs that we knew, and I don't know how, we got in Christmas carols, and we discovered that some of the Christmas carols in um, in the U.S. and some in the U.K. are like the same words but different tunes. So um, I woke back up and I learned a new tune to one song. So we we're gonna we decided that for Christmas feedback, which I've never heard because I'm always too busy at Christmas time. I don't think I've ever heard APG at Christmas time. I guess I kind of don't have the disease sometimes. Maybe I go into remission at Christmas. <laughs> Barbara says that at Christmas time people put Christmas posts in. So, um, yep, so sure we're just going to do feedback, a little medley of Christmas carols. We hope at least Captain Jeff likes this, and um, then he'll decide if he wants to share it or not. Okay, so don't film my face. Or my speedometer. <laughs> I lost my voice this week too because because we've talked so much, I've talked too much, we've laughed so much, and just. 
it's just crazy. So. And I have also talked too much and laughed too much and I've had a cold. <laughs> so I'm going to be, I, I am going to be singing through my cold. Yeah, that's right. So nobody judge us, all right? No judging. <laughs> I've got no a We'll make you sing hymns and then, and then see how you feel. All right, not hymns. I mean Christmas carols. All right, here we go. Okay, so which one do you want to do first? Becky? God rest. God rest. God rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Saviour was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. From God our Heavenly Father, a blessed angel came, and unto certain shepherds brought tidings of the same, how that in Bethlehem was born the Son of God by name. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Alright. Okay. Now for the new one. Oh. I don't know. Okay. You start. So we'll take it easy. Alright. This is a kind of British version of this carol. It came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old. From angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men, from hands all gracious King. Gosh, this thing is old. I think it will be late. Passenger call bell rings, asking for spirits on ice. Oh, what fun it is to ride on an old mad dog tonight. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride on an MD-88. Merry Christmas! Yay. Merry Christmas, everybody! <laughs> that was awesome. That was, cool. oh, that was brilliant. <laughs> I love that last bit. That was fantastic. There we go. Pennsylvania. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank Bye you girls. so much, Bye, Becky and Barb. Lady. Oh, man. Great singers, both of them, even with the cold, Barbara. Um, much better than I can do even uh, well. That's not true. When I'm not... not no. Steph, Steph is actually a wonderful singer. She's just modest. No, no, it's not true. <laughs> She's a better doctor. That is true. Yes. <laughs> I will stick to my day job. Thank you very much. I will definitely stick the flying. Not make. Not. not I shouldn't even be on. I can't even talk. I shouldn't even be a, on a podcast. That is my true. Place. What are you doing here? Get out See of ya. here.
Oh, man. That, that was so fun. That's the first time I believe that we've ever had somebody send us that kind of feedback in. So that was cool. Although, you know, it was odd that if you're watching the video, the only thing you see is the road outside. And look at one point like they were going about 110 miles per hour. I was um, actually just noticing like on the it, it just looks so much like summer. There was this weird disconnect. Like there were like yeah, crops growing in the because field. Because it was. It was green. I know it was after Oshkosh. Yeah, they July. recorded, yeah, after uh after Oshkosh when uh, uh let's see. Um oh what what's what's that? Is that Julie? <laughs> <laughs> I found some sound clips. This is a garage door closing and opening. Wait a minute. Julie, welcome home. So, Dana, you were telling us that uh, Julie is heading up to Boston. Is she doing that tonight? Yep. She just uh, departed the area. Uh, driving she's, uh, she's shipping up to Boston? Is that yeah, correct? I'm not going to see her for Christmas. Or, oh, oh. I'm not going to see her for over a week. So. Well, I hope she has a wonderful celebration up there. I, I hope so, too. So. Okay. I already miss her. Wow. It's only been a few minutes. I know. That's sweet. I just, just settling in that I'm not gonna, we don't ever go this long without seeing each other. So, hey, uh, but then you have us, week. you know, we're it's like the same thing. <laughs> no, <laughs> okay, anyway, back to Barb and Becky. Thank you very much for that. Um, they recorded that back right after their um time in Oshkosh back in July. So, um, that's that's what you call thinking ahead a Christmas feedback thing in July. Wow, I'm impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark to continue, uh, item seven in episode. Oh, he starts off. Howdy. Is he from Texas? Uh, howdy. Howdy. Yeah. Maybe Oklahoma. In episode 400, you discussed the runaway trim incident on the Republic flight with only six souls on board. After listening to episode 403, the question remained as to why they were operating a flight with such a low passenger count. Although the slot theory is a possibility, I think the biggest reason this happens is due to the way regional airlines make money. Regional airlines, at least in in the United States, are paid a predetermined amount to operate flights for the major airlines. In this situation, Republic has to complete the flight in order to get paid by American. They make the same amount of money for the flight whether there are two passengers or 76 on board. If Republic cancels the flight, they lose their check for that flight. What do they call it? Pay for departure? Is that what the term is for the fee for departure? Yeah. Fee for departure. Thank you. So that makes sense now. I had not thought of that. Um, interesting. It just seems We've, almost counterproductive, uh, counterproductive to me. I mean, over the three episodes that we've actually talked about it, we've hit pretty much every single. So which one is it, Dana? <laughs> it can be any one of them. Okay. It really can be. I guess it's one of those things where, uh, you know, on average, the flight is uh, operating uh, at a profit. So occasionally it happens that it's not. But in the in the grand scheme of things, yeah, it's going to go no matter what. It's not so. a perfect system, is it? It never is, is it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, let's see. Texas Charlie uh, writes in, uh, keeping with the Christmas holiday theme. Merry Christmas, y'all. May your holiday be filled with joy and laughter and beer. I'll drink to that. Cheers. And cheers. cheers. And bourbon. We'll drink to that. Truly's. And gin. 
I'm, do, I'm doing. I've I'm doing got any gin yet. Hang gin. On a minute. I still no. have uh, some of this great gin soul from Hamburg. You mean you haven't drunk it? You were so red, by the way. Well, then I have so many bottles of gin from various places. I have a, a, an Italian gin. I have an English gin. I have this uh, Hamburg gin. He's swamped. Oh, yeah, so he's he's a, getting to all the gins I'm, eventually. I'm gin yeah. overload. But uh, I do appreciate it. Keep it coming. Um, <laughs> and the best of friends. Oh, let me repeat that then again. May your holiday be filled with joy and laughter and beer and bourbon and gin and the best of friends. That should be the first one, right? You may be aware of the bad PR United has been getting recently regarding crew members accessorizing for Christmas. The airline is making an exception to its usual uniform policy to allow ground staff, flight attendants, and pilots to be a bit more creative in the spirit of the holiday season. To quote the company memo sent to airline staff, Every year, we commemorate the traditional holiday. Try that again. Too much gin. Actually, I haven't had any gin. Every year, we commemorate the traditional holiday season by making an exception to our uniform guidelines. During the month of December, you may wear one uh, wear one of the following holiday accessories listed below. Only one. Accessories must be in good taste in the spirit of the holiday and not detract from your professional image. You must not alter your uniform in any manner. Adhere to all appearance standards and remember you represent United when wearing your uniform. For the females, they can wear a conservative holiday scarf, conservative earrings, one holiday necklace, conservative hair barrette, holiday hose slash socks with slacks only. Huh. So if you're wearing a dress or skirt, you can't wear holiday hose. You can't wear your holiday socks. Well, but, but what about hose? I mean, that seems like it would go with a dress or a... Uh, it's a family show, sir. Yes. Maybe. Okay. One holiday Maybe. pin. And then the males, they, we can wear a conservative holiday tie, holiday socks, one holiday gin. Oh, pin. I'm gin. sorry. <laughs> I've got gin in my mind. Um, the following items are not permitted. Okay. Ooh, this is where it gets really harsh. You cannot wear head adornments like antlers. Santa hats, halos, like as many of us, everybody except for me on the uh, podcast right now are wearing Santa hats, um, holiday vests or sweaters or holiday aprons. Bottom line, uh, this is um, Texas Charlie speaking again. Uh, even to a Christian such as myself, sometimes a gaudy set of light-up reindeer antlers is just the thing that may bring that Christmas magic back to a tired and frustrated traveler. I agree. So for the commercial pilots out there, if you showed up to work in a Santa suit, (laughs) okay, now we're really pushing it. Would you be turned away from your flight or at least get a call from HR, i.e. Steph? How much holiday fun would your airline let you get away with? Inquiring reindeer want to know. Adios, Feliz Navidad, and thanks for a joyous year of Avgeek Talk, Texas Charlie. Okay, um... Yeah, I think the wearing a Santa Claus outfit would probably be pushing it over the line, actually. Save that for your last day of work <laughs> if your last day of work happens to be Christmas Eve. Like retiring. Yeah. Actually, don't do that either. I, you know, I could do that. You could. Because I'd be retiring right around this time of year. I could wear a Santa mm-hmm. Claus outfit. Hmm. Hmm. If I'm still flying, actually. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, what do you all think? I am. 
I don't know. I have I have mixed feelings on this, to be honest. I don't think there's anything wrong with some of the small accessories, a holiday tie, all of that type of stuff. I think that's perfectly fine and not going to be, shouldn't be the least bit offensive to anybody. No. Um, but yeah, I in a professional setting, I think sometimes the more um, extravagant things are a little distracting sometimes. So uh, Santa hats and stuff like that. Yeah. Over the top costumes, kind of unnecessary at a place of business, but okay. just my thought. Yeah. I mean, even on a lovely Christmas flight, there are going to be nervous passengers. Uh, there are going to be people who are a little uncomfortable and want to see a professional uh, set of uh, pilots walk onto the aircraft that they're about to climb on and trust their lives to. So I think it's lovely to have a, a few touches that make your uniform look more festive. On a Santa suit, I think that's probably going a bit far. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's over the line. What do you think? Santa hat though. No, yeah, that's yeah. okay. But like the whole, <laughs> the whole outfit. Being a Santa beard. I, used See, to, I think, I think yeah. Nick just could have legitimately gotten yeah. away with it. Yeah. And no one would have they go, said anything. They wouldn't even notice. Oh, actually. it's actually, <laughs> I mean, Nick, your name is Nick. Exactly. Uh, Nick shows old, up in a Santa outfit Saint and they're going, Nick, oh, that, old St. Nick. That's the yes. way he looks all the time. So Old St. Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. But yes, I used to grow my beard out as I have done right now. Uh, in, in the last, uh, you know, it's looking good. December. By the way, I should I should mention. Well, thank you. So yeah. that by yeah, Christmas, uh, it was uh, pretty fluffy and uh, and looked good. So I used to put a red hat on, and uh, but I kept my uniform on, and I, I <laughs> was, if I needed to, I just put the hat <laughs> off, and now I was back to business again. That's that's how he made it to full retirement by keeping his yeah. uniform on. <laughs> we're all we're all very thankful he did <laughs> yep all right uh keeping with christmas greetings uh texas and lashock says greetings captain jeff and apg crew i was just going to take a little time to wish you all a very merry christmas this is 14 by the way a very merry christmas and a happy new year it seems kind of difficult to find things that relate to both aviation and Christmas, but I wanted to have some kind of holiday treat to share. So here's a video from a few years ago when the where the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, with the help of Tom Brokaw, present the story of the candy bomber, Colonel Gail Hal Halverson. I thought he might have passed on, but I looked him up and he's still around, 99 years old, which Ooh. is incredible to me. That is incredible. The video is probably too long to play on air, not to mention copyright stuff, but I just wanted to share it with the community. I hope you all have a safe and wonderful holiday season. Take care. And to watch that video, he's right, we can't play it on here, um, but we will have that link to that YouTube video in the show notes. So thank you, Texas and Texas and LaShock, for that. I mean, you can't go wrong with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. choir. Yeah. Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Yeah. And oh, they're they're wonderful. Um yeah. I watched that video and it, it brought tears to my eyes. It's amazing. It is. What, yeah. It's the story is so well told. We can highly recommend. Indeed. Now just going back to the uniform deal. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna wear my Santa hat. Okay. I don't think I'll wear a problem it on, with that. on the airplane. Yeah. Like you know, when I'm greeting people getting off the aircraft. Sure. But yeah, walking I, through a terminal, I won't have, you know, I'll wear my regular hat. But yeah. Oh, I wouldn't. I, our company used to give us hats, Santa hats to wear. 
Thank well, you. Like, the cabin crew, reindeer stuff, and mm-hmm. uh, so it was very much part of the company um, thing. But you know, if you put a hat on, that's a bit different to putting a whole Santa suit on. Yeah, yeah. I think it well, probably I mean, comes down it, to the culture of the company and what they're trying to, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Yeah, but the the feedback here specifically says the following items are not permitted: Santa hats, really. Come on. Yeah, that's maybe a little bit too restrictive, right? I think so. Yeah. So I'm I'm sorry to digress, but I was actually looking up our um, uniform policy, and it doesn't really address it. You know, obviously, if it's not in there, you're not supposed to wear it. So yeah, but I think that you know, use discretion, and I think this time of year, you know, as long as you're not yeah. too flamboyant about it, and you know, getting all crazy, I think that nobody's going to say a thing about it. I would think think not too. Thanks. Yeah. Sorry. We'll have to get uh, selfies of you though with your Hannah sat on um, ha- Santa hat. What did I just say? <laughs> Hannah sat. Let's <laughs> have Not the Satan hat. The Santa wow. hat. Yes. Okay. This is strong beer I'm drinking. Apparently, it's good though. It's not not coffee in that coffee. No, it's not. I, it's I, not think coffee. Might, <laughs> I might bring the mensch on the bench. The mensch on the, the bench. Deck. What's what's going on there, Dana? He's he's chilling out. He says he says he wants some Manischewitz wine though. Ah, I told him I don't have any of that in my house. So this I, I occurred before we hit the go live button, um, I think. Or did we talk about this? Well, anyway, before we no, started it was after show. you went live. I listened to it. Oh, okay. Mench on the bench, and uh, it's a wonderful looking mench with his it's finger a mench. holding up, almost like he's doing the um, uh, John Great Travolta. Staying alive kind of dance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be the better yeah. description. Anyway, uh, very cool. I love it. It's kind of like a play on the elf on the shelf, bench on the bench. Lee, number nine, writes in, uh, I was listening to episode 403, and I heard all discussing airplane nicknames, and Dana mentioned the Barbie jet. I've always heard the 757 referred to the Barbie jet because it's skinny, has long legs, and big cans. Uh, narrow body, tall gear, and big engines in case there was any confusion. I've enjoyed the podcast and wish everyone a good day. Thank you, Lee, or LP. Must be another opposing basis. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, or it's my, my grandfather. That's always kind of like, huh? I said, or it's my grandfather. That's I'm your grandfather? Sure. <laughs> no, it's not. I don't think. Okay. Well, and he's like 90-something years old, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um no, I wasn't going anywhere just, with that. It was just his, oh, just oh, his okay. initials. Um, so, uh, yeah, Barbie Jet, I've heard um, that term used a lot. And um, and it's either uh, referring to something that's kind of small, or it can be something such as uh, Lee mentioned, like the 7.5, um, skinny, but long legs, and big engines. I had never heard that. Really? In reference to seven five seven, I haven't either, actually. Yeah. Okay. So. But uh, that's a new data point. It is a family show, folks. Family it is. Show. Yes. And Matt. Yep. Will HR will be in touch. Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. Thank you. Ten. Brian from from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Here, longtime listener, first time feedbacker. 
I fly for a small cargo outfit based in southeastern Wisconsin and recently made the move to the left seat of a small Beach 99 airliner. We primarily provide logistical support for a nationally known carrier, or no, courier, based in Kentucky. As someone who is incredibly lucky enough not to have to be a CFI to build time before their first flight as a professional pilot, I'm wondering if it would have helped when I'm acting as part of a crew and not flying single pilot. I did take a few CFI lessons from my local flight school, but I found out that I'm not the best at explaining things to save my potential students from the agony of having to listen to me rambling on about the different types of ground maneuvers. I chose to find other means of building hours. I should note that I have an incredible respect for those that seek the CFI certificate as they are a core fundamental to our country's pilot supply. More often than not, our flights are single pilot, but on some occasions I'll be paired with a newly hired first officer who is building time to also upgrade to captain or waiting for the sim training on our larger Embraer 120s, as I have done. But back to my actual question. When you upgraded to captain, were there any challenges you faced within yourself when passing the flight controls to the right? We do have standard operating procedures that dictate what the weather has to be for the first officer to take the leg. But as a new captain, I felt I needed to up the minimums just a little to give me time to react should anything go astray. Granted, it may be a little different in a legacy air carrier environment, uh, but I quickly learned the meaning of standing by on the controls as someone who would or who was a CFI would have done with their students. Call me overly cautious, but I just want to make sure we're both staying safe. Thank you so much for the show. It made my four-hour daily commute to my previous employer very enjoyable, and I look forward to uh, each new episode. If anyone is in Milwaukee, I would love to treat you to an IPA at one of our local breweries on your next layover. Do we still fly into Milwaukee, Dana? I haven't seen uh, that That's where I'm spending Christmas Eve. Oh, there you go. Dana, you need to look up Brian. Um, and, unless you already have some plans. I um, have no plans. It's Christmas Eve, so I haven't actually. Brian, really. Brian's your man. Although maybe he has other plans. <laughs> I'm sure he does. <laughs> uh, blue skies and stronger winter tailwinds, Brian. P.S. My wife, Amanda, also lis- uh, loves listening to the show on our long car rides together with our one-year-old son, Milo passed out in the back <laughs> very very likely because he hears my voice and then he just Gone. passes out well hello amanda big shout out to amanda and brian hey hey, hey amanda and the exact reason why i didn't reach out because hi, hi. Chris with a one-year-old come on <laughs> milo wake up yeah no, milo <laughs> well if milo was sleeping no longer no yeah longer. not anymore um so I'm going to let those in the panel here that probably have better insight to this sort of thing. I think your insight actually would be very knowledgeable for us, especially me, to hear what you think as to how I'm handling versus what you as a very experienced. Uh, well, let's left- start with uh, someone who's kind of in a more similar situation. Dana, I'm curious for your take on it since you just recently <clears throat> had the same experience. Well, you know, <clears throat> my take on this is that it was a very difficult transition because I, you know, 
in the right seat knew what I was dealing with, me. And the captains, you know, are, you know, more experienced, obviously. And, you know, I was there to back them up and, and be um, be a good support unit, a good, good team player, really, is the way I have to look at that, um, to make sure that, you know, we worked well together. Um, and coming over to the left seat, you've heard me say it before, now I get to set the tone. Um, and looking at my first officers, you try to gauge what their skill level is and how, how they handle it. Obviously, uh, when ACME hires a pilot, they hire somebody that can already fly an airplane. And that's usually not the way I look at them. I look at, you know, how they're handling the checklist, how I set the flow up of, uh, you know, when we're starting engines, when we're, we're trying to get things done, the pace of, of the operation, right? So, in other words, I'm really not trying to outpace my first officers. So that's how I kind of gauge before we even get to the runway how this this pilot is going to be in the operation as far as the rest of the trip goes. And I'm finding that most of the people that I fly with are very, very professional uh really know how to handle the aircraft uh, when they're in the air. I, I haven't actually even come close yet to even thinking about taking an aircraft away from somebody. Um, so my confidence level with them is uh, it's pretty good. And I think, you know, a lot of it comes down to, you know, really the, the, the level of training that we that we instill in our pilots, as well as, you know, the, the type of pilots that we hire. Now, as far as, uh, you know, any minimums structured minimums within the company yeah we have structured minimums first officer can't fly below uh published cat one minimums anything below cat one the captain has to fly it um was that 1800 rbr yeah it's 1800 yeah i think i think i'm i'm i'm, I'm sometimes i have to look it up uh, i think that's 1800 or whatever the published minimums whatever that is three quarters of a mile i think it is anyways um so Really, I I don't I haven't really had to think about that. I've only had to think about all right. Am I is he legal to or is she legal to shoot the approach or do I have to shoot the approach? Um, and if it's really dodgy, then you know we we may say go ahead and let's use the auto land. Let's just every time I see that we have an alternate, I always test our auto land capability because I'll make sure we can get in. And if it's looking a bit iffy, if it's right down to minimums, then maybe we, you know, you can still fly the leg. We'll just use the auto land if, if I feel otherwise. But I haven't, I haven't really dictated that uh, because I'm really confident in, in the ability of the, uh, the pilots in the, in the right seat. Um, so that was, that was a big thing for me. I'm, I'm not a huge control freak. I'm, I'm not going to sit there and micromanage every little thing. Don't tell somebody how to fly the airplane. We talk about it, you know, that's part of my briefing. Uh, you know, I'm not going to micromanage the aircraft. I'm not going to micromanage you. Uh, you know, you fly the airplane how you want to fly it, but as long as you're within company specs and I have an idea what you're doing, then, you know, I'm, I'm not hit, being hit with unexpected circumstances so that I'm, I'm better uh, in the game. And, you know, as we teach uh, at our company is, we're, you know, you get a pilot flying and pilot not flying. Well, the pilot not flying has to be as actively involved as the pilot flying to make sure you're monitoring everything. So I don't see that I'm I'm, I'm backing off and in, in, in not having uh, my head fully in the game and, and ready. I'm always ready uh, if I need to go ahead and, and, and come in uh, in any situation. But I, I don't really 
um, hold the FOs back at all. I think that you have to consider the fact that our world is a little bit different than Brian's world, where you're flying uh, with people that have much less experience. And so you're going to probably be a little bit more careful when it comes to what you're allowing your first officer to do. And as far as like following through on controls and that kind of thing, my philosophy has always been if the person sitting to the right of me in that seat, he is not a brand new pilot. He has, <laughs> he has a lot of experience to get hired by Acme airlines. One of the major legacy airlines out there that, uh, you know, he or she, um, you know, they, they know what they're doing. And uh, my company is very good at screening out those that don't meet the standards that they expect uh, from from the people that are sitting there. So, um, and again, I've been doing this for a long time, a lot longer than Dana has. And perhaps my uh, attitude as far as being uh, more laid back is affected by that. Um but I, I, I agree with everything that Dana said, you know, that, that you, you are always actively, you know, being the pilot monitoring the situation, you know, having your hands in your lap or ha- having your hands on the controls. It's, uh, it doesn't take long to move from one place to another. So, um, you know, it's uh, something that you have to you have to consider. Uh, when you're flying with people that have maybe very little experience or people like in Dana and my situation, you know, they have a lot of experience. In fact, some of the people, a lot of the people, most of the people, I think, who came from the civilian ranks sitting in that right seat uh, with Dana and I have already been captains in their previous airline. So it's not like they have, you know, they're not, it's not their first rodeo. Yeah, and I was going to say, Jeff, I mean, you, you just hit it right on the nail. When I was a captain at the regional airline, uh, my, and again, going back to the level of experience, um, when I was a captain at the regional airline, I had people that just came out of flying 172s. Right. So my attitude at that point was a lot different. But then again, I was a lot younger. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> now I'm a lot more experienced and not as much of a, uh, well, let me put you this way. I'm far more mature than I was when I was in my early 30s flying an RJ around than I am. I'm far more mature now. Mm-hmm. So I think my transition to captain at the major versus being in in Brian's situation is, you know, you're younger, probably younger, dealing with those new pilots, as you mentioned. Um, so your your radar has to be on higher because, of course, a, a, a 99 that's an old airplane. I mean, that 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 airplane's been flying since the seventies, maybe even sixties technology, seventies technology. So you know, you're, you're dealing with unless they've updated the flight deck with newer um, avionics. Uh, you know, you're using a regular eight. You know, and may may well probably do have HSIs on there, HSIs, but all old steam instruments. So. Uh, you yeah you have to keep them on a short leash that would be my uh, suggestion to you um, but I think that that older technology stuff is like pr- 
priceless, invaluable experience for these people that uh, for the rest of their careers and everybody that's just starting out now will never, ever get to experience, most likely. So it's very good. Yes, Steph. So I'm going to be brief here because I see Nick uh, has probably reached his... uh, past his time that he needs to go Nick, to bed here. It's hang quite, on there, man. quite late for him. He, he looks like he's struggling <laughs> just a bit. But um, I, the only thing I wanted to add, and I think you guys have probably touched on this uh, in some way already, is that you know this is a, a, a new situation for you as well, Brian. This is a new experience, a new level of responsibility. I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, increasing your your minimums or your, your own personal um, level of being conservative in those situations until you gain more experience and more familiarity with um, how you are in that role. You know, you need to become comfortable with that in and of yourself before you can be a little bit more relaxed with the folks next to you. And you'll, you'll gain that with time and experience, just like anything else. You'll, you'll know, you'll be able to recognize quicker when it's someone who, um, might need to be, um, just might need a little bit more backup from you versus someone who's a lot more comfortable, uh, without that close following. So that's all. And old people like me, I'm in, I'm in so old that I'm in such a fog. I really don't know what's going on at all. And I really, most of the time, have no idea where I am. So, just get out hey, of Jeff, room. we're, we're still doing the show. What? <clears throat> Who? This is, this is still. I hear, the I'm hearing voices. Show. Where are you, Steph? I'm not sure if Nick, Nick's in the same boat with you, I think. <laughs> You're right there, Nick. <laughs> Nick. Uh, I'm about to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Okay. So. Darn it. I was so hoping to talk um, about electric beavers because that just sounds like an exciting topic to me. Well, stay tuned for episode 406. Yes, for 406. Yes. Before you run off, we have one that's a Christmas that we, it's a short one. Oh, yeah? Which one? Texas Analog Analog Shock. I thought we already already did that. that. Have we done that one? Yeah, we did that. I skipped already to that one. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Sharp one up, Dana. (laughs) <laughs> what were you what were you saying jeff about us being in a fog and yeah. uh, i was i was saying goodbye to juliet this, yeah, it was probably when you were you were off yeah there. exactly well this we're in a christmas fog which is such a wonderful thing and we love it Showtime. yes we do and uh so this is the point of the show where and you know if we went over three hours that's okay because i don't think we're we, there's a likelihood that we won't be doing a show next week so want to make sure everybody, ever again or ever again yeah that's a possibility <laughs> that's always a possibility <laughs> <laughs> the FCC is uh, after us. Um, luckily, the FCC has no jurisdiction over podcasts. I think Dana's lights have gone out. Oh, no. Um, lights out. Well, anyway. Lights. Power cut there, Dana. Huh? <laughs> I turn the lights out so I can have my oh, That's very, up. very nice. Huh. Hey, so seriously, people listening to the show, thank you so much for listening and if you're new, welcome to the community. Uh, I think you'll love it here. You'll love the people. Uh, the more you get to know these people, you'll, you'll, you'll never be able to escape like the Hotel California. Um, but uh, it's a wonderful place to be. Uh, we so enjoy, the crew here enjoy doing the show every week. Well, I think they do. They say that they do um, every week. And uh, we really appreciate you listening to us. And you can do that by watching us on the YouTube channel. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to us via iTunes or uh, the uh, uh, amongst the an incredible number of um, podcasting clients out there. My favorite is Overcast, but whatever. Um, thank you for doing that. Thank you for, if you have the chance to do it, um, reviewing the show on iTunes, uh, telling people about the show. It's all 
good. We do appreciate it's it. It's called Apple Podcasts nowadays. Apple, oh, excuse me, not iTunes. Yeah, very good. Uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, and uh, what else do we want to say? Well, we have a website that is a, a wonderful place to learn more about the crew, the community, um, merchandise. We have the Plain Tales um, dedicated page because Nick does these wonderful Plain Tales every episode and he goes in and adds more content uh pictures and other stuff there to supplement it so make sure you, you check that out and you can also subscribe to the plain tales as a separate feed if you'd like um we have a, a library apg library that uh, tiffany our librarian manages and if you are a reader and you want to find a good book that's a good place to go uh, so many more things there so please check out the airline pilot guy website and uh, we used to have apps but um, we decided to uh, stop doing that and you can appify uh, your uh, or our site airlinepilotguy.com so that you have a little icon in your on your phone and you can tap on that and get all of the access to the apg goodness that you can stand and we're also on the social meads the social meads social meads the social meads social, the social media, media social meads whatever we call it now one of those would be twitter so yeah. if you head over to twitter and search for us we're at apg crew all one word there you can also find our individual twitter information pinned to the top of that page should you wish to contact us individually uh, you can also head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy uh, the community is all there and lots of good information sharing going on and we hope to see you there as well yes and we also we also have um, a, a social mead kind of thing called Slack. I'm sorry. Hello. You need you need to get out of the shower, man. Where's the soap? Not, don't worry about it. We'll we'll talk about it after the show. Come over here and tell us about tell us about uh, Slack, please. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spell Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel. Now you can go back and towel off. It's careful in there. It sounds <laughs> you, dangerous. You really yeah. do need to... Uh, it doesn't careful. sound like he actually okay. left. But... <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> what? <laughs> was, he just, was he just in there with a the microphone? Yeah. He, yeah. he listens Disgusting. to the show the whole time. He takes a shower. I mean, he's been in the shower for like three hours. Oh, God. <laughs> Using all my water. I don't know what he's doing it's down clean, here in Roswell. <laughs> clean. He's always there. Anyway, um, thank you, Hillel, for managing the uh, Slack thing. And until next time, wishing you a, a, a very happy holiday season. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. What else, Dana? Happy Festivus for the rest of us. Festivus for the rest of us. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Talons, Douglas. Happy holidays, y'all. Bye, buddy. Merry Christmas. 
Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Kwanzaa, Merry, well, whatever it is. <laughs> Enjoy it, peace, happiness, and love to everybody. Bye-bye. Oh, we love you, man. Good day. Started APG. I opened doors for little old ladies. I helped them to their seats. Airline pilot guy, I fly America. Oh, airline pilot guy, he can't land in heavy fall. I got no friends cause I'm always flying. I just don't have the time. But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly a